Today is Wednesday, May 17th, 2023, and you're listening to the Ask a Christian Podcast. I'm your host, Nate. Today, we talk about the lost sheep of Israel. Some would say, because Jesus said he was sent to the lost sheep of Israel, he apparently was not sent to the Gentiles. The problem here is easily answered. Keep reading. Till Jesus says, go into all nations, making disciple of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So you got to keep reading. If you keep reading, all of your questions will be solved. So Jesus was not sent to the lost sheep of Israel only. He was first, but then he says, go to all the world and tell all people. So there's that. Uh, so there is no problem or contradiction. Uh, just keep listening to Jesus. He lays it all out. Then the woman with faith. She says, even a dog is allowed to eat master's scraps from the table. Is Jesus calling her a dog? Let's talk about it. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. No, he is not. Is it cats that get tongue-tied? Because as I got tongue-tied right now, my cat just walked by. I blame it. I think it has magic. I think it's a witch. Uh, let's do a poll. Should I burn my cat? Just kidding. Don't burn cats. Um, how many gods are there in the Bible? You want to say, well, just the one God. But then other people are like, oh, okay, you're talking about like, you know, where the Bible says like wooden idols and things that don't do anything, yet it calls them gods, little gods. Um, or like, you know, demons or Baal or Moloch or things like that that have like demonic presences behind. People would call them gods, little g. Or like Satan is the god, little g, of this world. It's like, oh, that's interesting. I actually haven't added them up. So if someone wants to add up all the times the Bible talks about some of these little gods, um, I'd be curious. But yeah, we go over how many gods are there in the Bible. Then we take a break and talk about some, I don't know, some just stuff. And we end up talking about the Second Amendment. Yeah. And uh, Jesus rode a dinosaur, and King Arthur rode a dragon. So uh, stay tuned for that. Check out the Ask a Christian book available on Amazon to learn how to have civil discussions with not-so-civil people. Check out the Ask a Christian store, grab a t-shirt, support the cause, and you can click on the donate link. All these links are in the podcast description to donate to this podcast and support us sharing the gospel with people on the internet. Take care and share these links. We'll see you later. Bye. To that question. Sure. What's that question? Um, Matthew ten six, where he said, uh, "Only sent to the only to the people of Israel, God lost sheep." Mm -hmm. uh, what was meant by that statement? It says he was sent first to the lost sheep of Israel, the Jews, and then, if you keep on reading, um, he gets to the part where he says, "Go into all the world, uh, making disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit." So yeah. Just as it happened, he showed up, he was born Jewish, he grew up around Jewish people, and he was sent to the Jewish people first. And then after a lot of them didn't want anything to do with him, he went to the Gentiles too, and told his disciples to go to everyone, making disciples of everyone. So it's like a temporary thing? Yeah, I mean, I guess that's not so much an answer as just, you know, reading, reading the Bible. But yeah, well, I mean, he says he was sent to the lost sheep of Israel, um, but then if you keep reading. So, I mean, there's like a lot of times like Hebrew Israelites will, will bring that up and, uh, you know, say, see, because Paul talks about how all who believe, you know, and everyone who calls the name of the Lord in Peter will be saved. And they try to say it's a contradiction. Well, the only way it's a contradiction is if you don't read. So, like, in what world would we listen to half of what someone says and so then it cut was them out off of halfway context. through? Well, it's to I, mean, I don't even know if you can say context. Well, yeah, it's out of context. But, I mean, it's because you just didn't keep reading. So, yeah, if you keep reading, like, he'll, he'll get to the part where he says, now go to everyone and baptize everyone, make disciples of everyone. So, yeah, the, I mean, the only way you can say it's a contradiction is if you just don't keep reading. 
have you studied the Bible or you're just reading it by yourself? Uh, both. Can you believe a guy who studied the Bible couldn't answer this 30 minutes ago? <laughs> uh, did he not say keep reading? No, he said there are more than one, uh, what do you call it? It was in Arabic, that uh, discussion. Um, it has more than one meaning. And basically, the meaning, uh, the first meaning is this, the second meaning is that. And I was like, this guy has no idea what he's talking about. I didn't uh, get convinced by his answer. But your answer was straightforward and shorter, you know. Well, funny thing, that answer is not from study. That answer is actually just from reading it. <laughs> so you made it up. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm sure people, I mean, you know, if you want to look at the specific verse, I'm sure people have different different interpretations on what that verse means. But I mean, you know, it's Occam's razor. Simplest answer is usually the right one. So, I mean, if you, you know, whatever interpretation you have, which, by the way, my interpretation of that verse is he was sent to the lost sheep of Israel first. They rejected him. Like there's prophecies in like Isaiah. It talks about the he's the cornerstone that the builders rejected. In this case, you know, they were building this, they were building this temple, they were building their religion, they were building this theology on, you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But the very cornerstone, that very God, when he appeared in flesh, Jesus, they rejected it. And it says, you know, now instead of being a cornerstone, he's going to become a stumbling block. So that that was a prophecy being fulfilled. So my interpretation of Matthew, you know, the Matthew that you're talking about is Exactly that. Like, you know, he was sent to them. They rejected him. I mean, the first followers were Jewish, so not all of them rejected him. But, you know, like the hierarchy, the leadership, you know, they rejected him, except for Nicodemus and some others. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's the answer. But, I mean, as far as, you know, what did he mean by he was only sent to the lost sheep? Well, no one says he was only sent to the lost sheep. And the answer is keep reading. And he'll say, go to all the world, make disciples of everyone. I'm looking at the New Living Translation. It says, but only to the sheep of Israel. Let me get that verse for you. Now, of course, uh, from the website Bible Hub, I have uh, 10 different, 10, 50 different uh, translations. Oh, that doesn't but matter. They all say the same thing. <clears throat> only one of them says only. Well, we'll forget that. That's not my, uh, that's not my point. <laughs> like... No, no, I'm saying like all the translations are going to have the same message. But uh, this is in Matthew, Matthew 28. So it's going to take a little bit of reading about the life of Christ. So and there's a whole bunch of stuff that happens in between there. But look at Matthew 28, verse 19. But but in the context was a woman asking for something and Jesus denied her. Is that the one where she says even a dog gets scrapped yes, from the master's table and he was moved by his faith? Yeah. Well, there you go. But if you keep what? reading everything, well, just to get to what I was saying. Just, just in a short ah. form, what, what did he reject exactly? What did he reject? Why, why did she mention that the dog can get some fuse? I'm not sure what she was asking for, what she was asking him for. Wait, you said you just spent 30 minutes in this conversation. You, you... I was a listener, yes. I wasn't speaking. Okay, well, let me go back and read that. But since I have the verse i pulled up first let me just read this and then i'll go back and read that so this is and this is why i said it's not exactly context i mean it is but you really got to read you know everything jesus says so in matthew 28 verse 19 go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father son and the holy spirit 
So uh, these are Jesus's final instructions before he ascends to heaven. So, um, yeah, when they say he was only sent, regardless of what translation says he was sent to or he was only sent to, um, skip ahead to the rest of the stuff Jesus says. So he says uh, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, so Matthew 8.10 or 10.8, where was this? 10.6. 10.6. Chris, do you know off the top of your head? You're going to make me look this up. He's on a call right now. Of course he is. All right. So Matthew ten six. Um, where is the woman at around here? <clears throat> so let's see. There's nothing about the woman into five. Jesus sends out the apostles. Uh, the twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them go among, go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Proclaim as you're going, the kingdom of heaven uh, as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. Acquire no silver of gold. Um, all right, so where's the part where the woman comes in? Exactly, I'm not sure. But, all right, uh, hang on, let me find out. The reply that you <clears throat> said about the dog is accurate. It's after she spoke immediately. Yeah, let me bring that up. This verse is in Come on, Internet. All right. Apparently, this account is in Matthew and Mark. Oh, this is quite a way later. Yeah, this is five chapters later. This is Matthew 15. And Mark 7. Okay, she was looking for, she wanted to get uh, healing for her daughter. <clears throat> and I think, let me just go to it in one of these. This is where Jesus says, like, nowhere in, like, the whole the whole region, like Judea, or nowhere has he seen uh, this level of faith, even of the Jewish people he was, you know, originally sent to. And yes, so he was he was moved by her incredible faith and healed the daughter. But that was it. She was seeking healing for her daughter. And the reason he denied at first, what was it? Let me go to it. 15.7. Did I say 15.7? 15.27. 15. All right. Jesus went away from, uh, withdrew, and behold, a Canaanite woman, so not a Jew. We knew that. Canaanite woman came uh, crying, have mercy on me. My daughter is severely oh, oppressed by a demon, uh, but he did not answer her. Uh, his disciples came saying, send her away. She's crying after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. He answered, it is not right to take the children. And he said, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, even the dogs get crumbs from the master's table. Then Jesus answered, your faith is great. Let it be done as you desire. And her daughter is healed. So that's the reason. Kind of like, I, I think, kind of like how uh, Mary, how she wanted him to, you know, help out the wedding feast. And he says his time isn't now. So whatever the reason, he seems reluctant. Um, like in this case, he wanted to go to the Jewish people first. Um, so if that was to fulfill prophecies, like they needed ample time to reject him as the Messiah. Uh, so then he could go, like whatever reason, it doesn't tell us the reason. So, so it just we says can... He, uh... yep. Um, just label it as a special e exception. 
Well, we, <clears throat> I mean, you could say that from our perspective, but who knows what the actual reason is. It's like, you know, when the wedding, when he turned water to wine, um, he says, my time isn't now, but Mary was persistent. She asked him again, and he's like, okay, I'll go ahead. So from God's perspective, maybe he was planning to do that the whole time. He just wanted to, you know, get her to ask again for some reason. So we could have this conversation thousands of years down the road. So from our perspective, maybe you could say it was a special occasion, but from God's perspective, we have no reason why God did that. Like, I don't think that he didn't know that conversation was going to happen. And he's like, oh, okay, you're twisting my arm. Like, I totally believe he always knew he was going to do that just as it happened. So why he needed her to ask again, or, I mean, it seems pretty apparent, right? Like she displayed an amazing amount of faith. So, you know, Jesus talks a lot about how faith, you can move mountains and with faith, you do all these things. So, I mean, it seems on its face that that story is great for in, for building faith in the Bible. It's like, you know, God wasn't going to do something because he wasn't sit for her right now. Uh, but then because she displayed such an amazing amount of faith and he's like, there, that's the story I wanted to be in my Bible to lift up my believers 2000 years in the future. Like we can, we can speculate. Um, but I would say that's, that's a pretty apparent reason. Thank you very much, Nate, and sorry for all the trouble. Oh, no, that's fine. Actually, since it said it's in Mark 7, 28, too, I want to check that out real fast. Let's see if it's if there's anything different there. Mark 7, 28. All right. <clears throat> now, the woman was a Gentile, and she begged uh, him to cast out her daughter. And he said her, uh, he said to her, let the children be fed first. Um, so that's kind of like, you know, the same thing saying it in a different way um, that he was sent to the lost sheep of Israel first. Uh, Let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And uh, so it's said slightly different way, maybe a little more palatable. Um, and he said, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she returned home and found the child in bed with the demon gone. Okay, thank you very much. Sure. And uh, Lou posts the uh, Strong's definition. Uh, yeah, dog in this case means puppy, but it's, uh, you know, it's a uh, colorful language. So I think a lot of times people who have a problem with Christianity, well, many times ignoring, you know, their own religion, they're like, he's calling her a dog. It's kind of like, you know, when we say like, uh, you know, the thing in Proverbs, it's like, you know, so a pig returns to its vomit. He's not necessarily calling people pigs. He's saying people are creatures of habit and they'll return to the bad stuff they're doing. Also not vomit. So I don't know if that was your point, Lou, in posting that, but I'd, I'd throw that out there. Like, yeah, he's not necessarily calling the woman a dog. Um, the Bible's not necessarily calling bad people pigs and saying they go play in literal vomit. Because if he's calling her a dog and Proverbs is calling people pigs, then that means they're talking about literal vomit also. So no one is saying the wicked man returns to his literal vomit and plays around in vomit. Therefore, uh, I think it can rightly be assumed that the uh, the wicked person is not an actual pig and they're not returning to actual vomit. It means bad people are going to keep doing bad stuff. And this woman in the context, uh, you know, of a dog, she's not literally eating scraps from under a table. So he's not calling her an actual dog and she's not eating actual scraps. Just for the record.
Uh, Chris or Edwin, what's up, Edwin? Hey, Nate. Uh, How you doing? Uh, I'm doing decent, better than I deserve. <clears throat> Here's a question for you. I was thinking about this. Do you think what would be like more edifying and something that would exercise a person's mind more? A question that can be easily answered from the Bible. Let's say I ask you a straightforward question like when on what day of the week was the sun created? And you answer you the fourth day. You give me the answer, I'm like, great. But do you think a question that cannot be easily answered from the Bible would be more stimulating and actually uh, be better for a person? Does that make sense to exercise a person's uh, brain muscle, so to speak, if, it, if, it's a, if it's a hard question to answer and you have to struggle and you're not even sure what the answer is? Do you, does that make sense? Um, I, I think, let me see if I know where you're going. Like if the conversation warrants it, which is subjective. Um, rely yeah. on God. So like sometimes if people are like, uh, I mean, I kind of, <laughs> pardon me while I continue to die. One moment. <laughs> Can't always hit the mute button fast enough. Oh my gosh, I've had this cough forever. Is this like Paul's thorn in the side? Maybe it was a cough because this is awful. Anyway, um, so like, I, I usually facetiously will bring up something like, uh, look, if, if someone wants to know if there's like, hey, man, what time is it? Instead of talking about how God is outside time and God is the master of time and the intricate understanding of like, mm -hmm. you know, physical material properties. It's like, bro, sometimes just be like, it's 345. Is that what you're <laughs> is that what you're talking about? <laughs> well, no, no, I'm just I'm talking about questions that the Bible may actually answer. It's just hard to maybe come up with an answer. But it does answer it, let's say. But it's just, I think some, for example, issues of eschatology, right? Oh, God. Yeah. But what I'm, what I'm getting at is there are things that I was wrong about when I was a younger Christian, eschatology. And after I studied and a lot of studying, I think that I am correct on, right? Other people would differ with me. I understand that. So, but I have found when I've, since I was like a baby Christian, bringing up certain questions from the Bible, they don't have an interest in the topic or they don't care. Instead of just saying, "Hey, I'm not interested in that. I, I don't. I don't know," they'll belittle my question. Like I remember when I was a little baby Christian, I was asking somebody about something in Revelation. It was like the, um, and he kind of just uh, the guy in the church who was an older Christian. He just kind of dismissed, you know, the question. I, it was kind of hurtful. I was a little. I was a, not even a year in the faith, and I've ha I've gotten this attitude from Christians where it's just like, well. It's, I don't think it's healthy. I mean, it's what is wrong with just okay? You're not interested, fine, but not don't belittle the question because I think I have questions. the answer. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's not an answer, but I have a response. <laughs> um, go ahead, go ahead. I get I get what you're saying, and I get what the other guy's saying because I I have been in both situations. I've been the one asking, and I think guys. I mean, I I can see that the answer is here. I just I can't quite get there. I I need someone to help me. I need someone to point me in the right direction. So I can get the answer. Like, I know the answer is not that hard. It's, it's just like, I, I can't figure out which direction to go to get the answer, but I know it's there. And I'm pretty confident you, you can help me on this path. And I, I, I get a little irritated when I'm like, just, just show me the way. I know you don't care, but I do care. And I just need a little bit of guidance. I can almost put my finger on it, but not quite. Just help guide me a little bit. But then I've also been like just now when you said exotology and I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> it's not because I don't think it's important. But, uh, you know, I, I imagine maybe it's something like, you know, everyone has like their, their, you know, pet projects or like, you know, things that are near and dear to their heart and, and the Bible and theology. And if that's not where, you know, you could spend 
all, all time, all, all amounts of time getting these answers and, and never be satisfied because you just want to keep digging deeper and deeper. But if other people don't share that, it's like, okay, man, like, you know, for example, eschatology, like, I don't want to belittle that topic, but there's only so much the Bible says that you can, you know, you can prove based on the Bible, right? Not, uh, not like proven some atheist sense or whatever, but I mean like what the Bible actually says where there's really no room to interpret. It's like, this is going to happen like judgment day, right? It's like judgment day. That's a fact that's going to happen. Like if you believe the Bible, the Bible claims it. There's really no way to get around it. There is a judgment day. But about eschatology and, you know, did something happen? Uh, you know, partial preterism, millennial. like, you know, whenever we start getting into this, it's like, you know, there is room for interpretation. And because there's room for interpretation, no one is ever going to be able to to biblically prove one position is, is extra right over another one. So that's that's kind of when I tap out mm -hmm. uh, because it's like, well, let's go as far as we can with what the Bible actually says that you can't interpret a different way and then when you can start interpret interpreting different things different ways and they're very similar with their uh, you know with their amount of validity to it um like it's not just crazy stuff but it's it's fairly you know apples to apples um then it's like there's nowhere else to go so we can we can like talk about it until yeah. the rapture actually does happen and yeah. no one's going to have a better handle on it so it's like well why um, so I don't, well, I don't know if that helps, but that's a response. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, and I'm not, I'm not interested in getting into a, a discussion on eschatology because uh, it's, they get very frustrating. That's not the point, but I, I hear what you're saying. It's just that what I have found is that uh, it's one thing if a person's not interested in it, fine. There's all kinds of issues that people might raise in a room like this and that I'm not interested in talking about. That's fine. I mean, I can't be interested in everything and have knowledge on everything, but it's just that sometimes like eschatology is one of them. There's someone that I know that is very into eschatology. He's very into prophecy. He's written a lot on it. His name is God, <laughs> right? Like 24% of the Bible is uh, prophecy. It's, it's God thinks it's important. It is objectively important because it's important to God. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that we're all going to uh, be on the same page with it. It doesn't mean everyone's going to have the same interest in it. But it is a very respectable and a good thing to study, and it shouldn't be frowned upon uh, by Christians, because God himself finds it interesting. He wants me, he, you know, he's given me the Bible. Um, there's things that, and it takes work. It takes a lot of work to uh, discern truth about the end times. It's a very complicated study. But that's, that's my point, that sometimes there's one thing in saying I'm not interested in it. Another thing to say, ah, th those issues don't matter, just focus on evangelizing. That's the kind of attitude I've gotten from a lot of Christians. They're like, well, let's focus on loving others. That's more important. And Focus on loving Christ. Yes, but I'm to love Christ through loving God with my mind, which means you know, I, learning things that go on. Nate, Nate, go on. I'm droning on. Go. I, I think I see, I think I see what you mean. I think that may be more of a people problem. Um, I, I love you, honey. I don't want to get in trouble from you. Don't beat me. Um, just kidding. My wife doesn't beat me. Um, but kind of when we are in a in a not argument, but in a conversation that I'm looking for a way out of, <laughs> and I keep like kind of throwing spaghetti on the wall to see what sticks to get me out of a conversation that I, I, I've exhausted, like I don't know where else to go. So like, if she's not done with the conversation, but I'm like, okay, I've said everything I can reasonably think of to contribute to this conversation. At this point, we're just going in circles and there's, there's nothing else I can do that's helpful. So how do I politely get myself out of this conversation? Because if I don't, then we're just going to start escalating and it's gonna get heated and it will turn into an argument. And I don't want that. And there's no benefit from it. We've said what we can say without just raising our voices and saying the same thing again. 
So maybe it's something like that. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, this is just people, right? So I'd say it's more of a people problem and a personality thing than a theological point. But maybe, like, if you keep asking about, ex which I think you've done, like, four times this week, um, ask about eschatology. It's like, well, you know, I, I, of course, I respect it. I like the topic. Um, but at this point in my life, I, I, it's rare that I hear a new position about the topic. And, you know, we all know the same Bible verses, and we all use the same Bible to, you know, to talk about it and make our points. So um, when eschatology is brought up, it's like, well, here's what I think. I don't know what else I can say. So then if they yeah. say, well, like, like for your example now, you're like, well, it's important. 24% of the Bible is about this. It's like, okay, I, I understand that. Yeah. Yes, that's good. But I have nothing else to weigh in on. Sure. So at a certain point, I may be one of those people that's like, well, yes, it is important. I do respect it. If there's something I haven't heard of, then let's talk about it. I don't yeah. have anything new to give. I've given everything. So let's just focus sure. on Jesus. Hey, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> well, just to clarify, I didn't ask you any questions. There was a question I was going to ask you, and then I got a phone call. So just put things accurate here. I, I, there was one question that I was about to ask, and then I got cut off for a phone call. So I, I don't know what you're saying about – I never even got to the question. It was from, from Isaiah, and then I got cut off. So I, when you say I brought up something four times, I don't remember that. Oh no, eschatology. No, no, wait, stop there. No, no, I, I meant the, I, I meant the, um, you know, the topic of eschatology. I don't know if it was you that brought it up, but today's oh, okay. Today's what Wednesday? I okay. think like Monday and Tuesday and maybe Wednesday. <laughs> um, the topic of eschatology has come up in this. Room. Oh, okay, I'm that, sorry. That's what I'm talking. That's I, what I'm talking I, about. I, I thought you were referring to me specifically. Okay, because yesterday I asked a question about picking money. Nate, that's okay, a Nate, that's a sign you need to do a room on eschatology. Uh. Marquise is going to do a room in eschatology. Yeah. <laughs> um, Edwin, no, Ed, Edwin, uh, go ahead, Edwin. Uh, ask your question, then. Uh, no, I, I don't. I, I don't have. A, I don't have a question on eschatology. I was bringing it up as an example of something that. Oh, I thought you just said you had a question. No, no, no. I did. I did have one early week. I may raise that maybe tomorrow or later about from Isaiah, but I don't want to get into that right now because I'm going to be doing something. So. But, oh, I mean, I didn't. I, I didn't. I mean, I didn't, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to put you off with my uh, with my thing. I was just. I was just trying to go up your example and give you an example. Yeah, but, okay, I got you, I got Like, I mean, philosophy would be another one. Like, I totally check out and would probably be less charitable. Uh, Mike, Michael, the hat I would need for charitable charitability on uh, philosophy wouldn't wouldn't even go to what I need it to. But um, it's plus. It's plus. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that exists. But uh, Liz, what's up, Liz? Oh, hey, how you doing? Uh. I was just, I was just coming in there to say hello. I, I wanted to uh, comment on what that gentleman was was talking about because I've had people do that as well, um, and I think it is beneficial to remember that we are all uh, those of us um, that are Christians. It, it it should be our highest priority to love God with all of our heart, all of our mind, and all of our strength. I mean. Honestly, reading that commandment is like so convicting because uh, it's you, you really have to focus on it like all the time. And personally, I have found that um, I, I was um, very much interested when I first started studying and when I became a Christian in uh, the Kings and the Samuels books. And I went to church, and I was talking to different people, and um, I wanted to discuss different things from it. And uh, someone point blank just said to me, listen, I, I, I don't really 
I'm not really familiar with the Old Testament that much. And this was like an older Christian. And I think I judged them. And I mean, I think that's something we have to be careful of too. Because at least they were being honest and saying, you know, I, I don't really have a lot to say on the Old Testament at this point. Like, I don't, I'm not really that familiar with it. I can't discuss it. Uh, you know, and I judged that person. And I just, I think that when it comes to these, these types of things, you're dealing with people. And it's real easy for all of us to judge. And, and there's this competitive thing. Um, and, you know, some people like to say what, that because the Bible talks about the race that we have to be competitive. But I don't know that it necessarily means that. I think it just means we need to, like, just keep going. But I, I, th I think it's interesting the way that we can so easily get, it's an expression, booty hurt. <laughs> like, I'm using that expression because it's sometimes it's like anything that we can get our emotions involved that isolates us is I understand that that was hurtful and that would have been hurtful for me too. I was bothered by the fact that this person didn't want to talk about the old Testament with me. And maybe it would have been better if I hadn't judged the person. Maybe I could have said now that I'm older and I realize that I, you do, you, your faith changes, your reading changes and, and your desire and, and interests change. So maybe if, if someone said that to me now, I'd be like, oh, I can totally understand not being all familiar with all the things about the Old Testament. But you just need to know something that's on my heart. I wanted to share that with you. The Lord put this on me. You know what I mean? And just like turn it around, make it be like, okay, well, we can still have this conversation. <laughs> I don't know. Just a thought. Sure. Anyone else have anything to say to that? Harold. Am I able to speak freely now? Are you mad because I skipped over you, Harold? No, nah, I mean, you muted me twice, man, for no reason. I was just trying to comment on what Edwin was saying earlier. I wasn't yeah, trying so to was I. Go ahead, Earl. Um, um, well, Edwin, to, well, he's on the phone now, so never. Hey, Joshua, what's up? Hey, guys. I, uh, just driving to my sister's graduation. She's graduating from law school. So had some time. Figured I'd pop in, hang out. Is she going to be a good lawyer or an evil lawyer? I, is there a good lawyer? I don't know. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Well, anything uh, pique your interest from the times you've been, uh, what? I said, I want to revisit something. What's that? So back to the, um, uh, uh, the woman and the dog and the, and the crumbs, right? This is one that's really for Chris. If he'll unmute, I don't know if he's busy. You know, he's always got yesterday was the plan. Okay, Chris, what's up? Me too. Um, I'm curious to know. Just from the from the uh, Calvinist perspective, um, this this Gentile woman who um, you know hears about Jesus and comes and you know she has this this faith type situation. Would you say that the faith that Jesus uh, says that she exercises? Would you say she is saved before she exercises that faith? 
or is she saved upon exercising that faith or is this just an aspect where she exercises faith in Jesus but she still has to like get the full message of the gospel and receive salvation at some point later like after the resurrection uh, sorry after the resurrection of Jesus Christ just your perspective on what kind of uh, 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 soteriological state this woman is in when she's expressing faith just curious and also stirring the pot and throwing pebbles at you all right uh we're not given enough information in the passage all right that's, well there's that's cool i'll take it i'll take it that's cool well that's uh, harold cool. did you have a new topic or anything on your mind today no i can't think of anything You know, I don't know. Uh, someone else, feel free to jump up here. Let me just send some random invites. Ooh, lots of people. Um, yeah, if you can speak, jump up and speak. If uh, if you can just chat, fine. If you want to ignore us completely, then fine. Just do that and listen. But um, you know, every time someone talks about Satanists, like I'm one of the, you know, I'm one of the. <laughs> don't want to say biggest defenders of Satanism. Don't want to be a Satan apologist. <laughs> but you know, I'm one of the first people. One of I one of the first. I mean, Chris isn't that bad guy. It's just, oh, okay. Um, anyways, but, you know, I, I understand. It's not lost on me because, you know, used to, like, when people thought of Satanists, they thought of, like, people doing, like, you know, weird occult rituals, like, you know, believing in the literal Satan. Um, and now, when people hear Satanists, it seems like only a few people think that, and most people want to exclusively call Satanism, like, a humanist, atheistic religion which largely in like Western culture and stuff like that, it is with the temple of Satan and church of Satan and stuff like that. But that doesn't mean there aren't still theistic Satanists out there. And I think it's, it's naive and foolish to state otherwise. So if we're talking about like the run of the mill Satanists you're going to find on the internet, sure. Um, but to say there's not some like, you know, weird theistic Satanist out there, like, you know, doing weird rituals, like playing with blood, like, I don't know, sacrificing people. I mean, is it any wonder, like, they're not, like, loud and proud about it? Like, they're, they're doing things that would probably be crimes in most countries. So, but, you know, in the interest of never saying never, surely they are some people out there doing these, like, theistic Satanist belief practices and stuff like that and rituals. So, I mean, that, that doesn't seem like something that needs to be stated, but I guess it does, because it's now, like, everyone's a Satan apologist, even me sometimes, which is like, no, no, they don't actually believe Satan is just a political stunt, or it's just oh. a humanist movement. Um, when it's like, well, no, I mean, for the large part that we talk to, sure. But there are definitely people out there that are into some messed up actual Satan stuff. Can I comment on that? Uh, yes. So I actually know someone who calls himself that. Um, and before I knew that he called himself that, I became his friend. And I mean, not that I, yeah, I would, I would have probably not become his friend if I had known that. But I already am. It's been several years. And um, he's a very intellectual person. Uh, but recently, I mean, it really is, I mean, for even my Jewish friend who is, doesn't know Jesus, um, has said to me, I don't know why. He calls himself a Satanist. You know, it's one thing to be an atheist. It's another thing to have the word Satan in your, in your title of what you believe. 
And he really, I, I just find that interesting that I, I really believe one day he will come to the Lord. But he, he has commented on that. And we actually visited his house recently uh, because of a party. And we, I, we, we both wanted to leave. But at one point, one of his friends that happened to be there, and they all kind of share similar beliefs, I think. But one of his friends that wanted to, that was there was like, uh, or maybe it was him. Anyway, they were having this discussion. They're like, oh, look, you want to meet my new God? And it was like a stuffed animal. And it was like his new God. I'm like, <laughs> okay. Well, that sounds fun. Uh, <laughs> Benjamin, what's up, Benjamin? Oh, good morning, Nate. Thanks for the invitation. Good morning. I, um, you know, I did have an interesting question that I, I'd like to do a room on later. Uh, I'd love to have your take on it. And the question is, how many gods are there in the Bible? Uh, I think you're well aware that uh, the, the, the orthodoxy is that there's only one God. But, but that doesn't really seem to be textual. There seems to be a generosity of gods. In fact, the first uh, commandment doesn't make much sense if there isn't more gods than just one. So I thought it would be a, kind of an interesting, useful exercise to kind of probe around and see how many gods there are in the Bible. I also think that the God of the Old Testament and the God described in the New Testament uh, seem to be a different reference. I mean, the God in the Old Testament, for example, is about killing everything, honestly. And that that kind of is moderated in the New Testament. So I wondered if you had a position about how many gods there are in the Bible. Is that directed towards uh, a specific person? Uh, yeah, me. <laughs> uh, Nate, yeah, top uh, left. I mean, uh, Isn't the name so, of the room asked, mate? No. Well, uh, we'll get to you. I'm curious to see what the other people have to say, too. And I appreciate their help and insight. But, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I have added them up, but there would be categories, right? So the Bible makes the absolute claim there is the one true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There is there is no other on this level. Like, he's the one ultimate creator God, sustainer of everything in existence. So that's the claim it makes. So numero uno, one God in that sense. Then there's different categories, like when Abraham had, had before he was Abraham, when he was Abram, had like idols. And, you know, the Bible makes reference to, you know, why do you follow these gods, like little G gods, like comparing them to like idols and things that can't, they have eyes, they can't see, they can't hear, they can't speak, they can't do anything. They just sit there because they're a block of wood or stone. Um, so they have no power. They're just an, anim, an inanimate object that people worship as gods in that sense. So basically a figurine that does nothing, like a Buddha sitting on someone's shelf. Um, and then there's other gods, you know, like you'd have like Baal or Moloch, like things that are called gods, also little g, even Satan, like the god of this world. So we're told that these things, these like beings, like demons, Lucifer, exhibit great power and have great ability to like mess with humans and mess up stuff and cause havoc. But they are still not the same level as like this, this creator god of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So I'd say those would be the categories. The one category is the god of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that the Bible's about. Um, who has no equal. That's one category. Then there's the idols that just, they're called gods, they're called idols, but they do absolutely nothing. There's zero power behind them. And then there are things that are attributed power, like, you know, Baal, Moloch, these other, like, gods that would be, like, demonic forces. Um, and then Satan, who is called the god of this world, um, who we believe, you know, exhibits sway and power over these, like, you know, demons or something. 
So I would say those are some of the categories. Maybe someone could bring it down further, but I haven't actually added up how many the Bible invokes. But um, yeah, that's what I would that's what I would say. Um, Marquise and Chris, you both awesome, unmuted. Thanks. So uh, Marquise, uh, you go first, Marquise. Okay, yeah, sure. So um, agree with everything Nate said. Automatically, uh, the scripture proclaims that that um, the Yahweh is the one true God. Then you have several situations uh, throughout Kings, Samuel, Isaiah specifically, um, which will have God through the prophet saying, there are no gods besides me. And we have to, you know, be uh, contextual here. It's not saying beside him as in alongside him. It's saying besides him as in other than him, which is why the S is there, besides me. Versus beside me, without the S, which refers to, you know, uh, next to me, right? He's saying other than. And then there's, um, I, I think one of the cool references, I had to do a, a piece of this for my doctoral work. I believe it's um, Isaiah, right? It's one of the ve very rare references where you'll see um, apologetics in the Old Testament, where he's defending the authentic faith of Israel over and against the... Um, idolatry that Israel is is committing. And so he does this in about three different sections or three chapters in Isaiah. And in one particular passage, I'm driving. Uh, if I once I get to my parking spot, I'll try to put the, the link um, or the, the actual book chapter and verse in the chat. But there's a passage in Isaiah where God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah. These are God's words. And he says, you worship other gods who are not gods. And then he begins to say the capacity in which these other gods, which exist in concept only, um, how they exist. He says they're blind, they're deaf, they're dumb, they can't speak. He talks about the fact that they can't reason, they have no agency, they can't move unless the human carve them out of wood and stone, pick them up and relocate them. He talks about how these gods that he acknowledges other people acknowledge— um, it's it's kind of like references them for me. Yeah, Marquise, you're but, chopping but can I just inject here that it looks to me like Christians carve uh, their gods quite often. Nate, Nate seems to be uh, representing an image of his god right now on his PPR. Um, why does the carving of gods uh, why, why is that a distinguishing characteristic here? It seems like un Can you guys hear me now? Differentiated. Sure. Yeah, you're back a bit. Okay, sorry. So short version, because I'm going to have to get off of here in a second anyway. Short version, I'll wrap it up. When God references um, himself, he's, you know, or, or he's referenced in the Bible, he's the one true God. There is no one next to him, no one else above him, no one beside him. No one besides him other than him. That's clear. He says that explicitly. When he references other gods, he references them conceptually only, only in concept. He acknowledges that there are other ideas people have about these other gods. But he very clearly in Isaiah says that these other gods that people are worshiping, they don't actually exist. So he references that they, that other people believe in these gods, but he does not acknowledge or affirm their actual existence, just that the concept of them exists. And he says these other gods are not gods. They are 
dumb idols. They're blind. They're deaf. They're dumb. They have no agency. They have no intellect. They can't do anything. They are not actual gods. Um, and so that's clearly expressed. I'll put the book chapter and verse in the in the chat because I just pulled into the parking lot. I'm going to find it, but I'll mute up so others can speak. But that's the two things that you see. There is God who is true, who is consistent with reality. He actually exists. And then there's these other concepts of God, which exist as a concept only in the figment of people's imaginations. Uh, yeah, Marquise, I want to say, and we're going to get that other question too, Benjamin, but I, I want to say Marquise, a real Christian, would have let Jesus take the hill while, uh, wheel while they found that information. Uh, just kidding. Don't text me. <laughs> um, and yeah, Benjamin, we'll, we'll address that other thing. I wanted to see if Chris, because uh, he was the other one that wanted to chime in, I believe. Did you want to say yeah, anything, Chris? Chris? Sure. So the, there's something called progressive revelation. So what Marquis is talking about is a thousand plus years from the time of Moses. Okay. So at the time of Moses, when the first, when the 10 commandments were written, it didn't matter if there were truly other gods or not. It was a statement of something called henotheism. This is that this is the God of Israel, that Yahweh is the God of Israel. You will have no other gods before him. You won't make any graven images, yada, yada, yada. So the, the whole thing is that the supreme God of Israel is Yahweh. You will, as a member of the nation of Israel, worship Yahweh. Okay? And in the in the ancient Near East, and we have Dr. Josh is here. He can, I think he can back me up on this. They wouldn't have had any conception of God being an ultimate. Because that doesn't come, again, later on until we start getting into like classical theism thousands of years later when we start talking about what an ultimate is and the omni properties of God and all these other things that we rely upon as modern Christians to look at the scripture, they would have had no conception of any of these things. They just know that Yahweh is God. And he is the God of Israel and he is powerful and he will destroy you if you if you worship somebody else. That That's where and they were at. And Benjamin, to your uh, next question about the um, graven image thing, well, keep in mind, you know, the Ten Commandments talk about how, you know, you only have, you know, the Lord your God, no one else. So whenever we talk about graven images, <clears throat> I mean, that's, <clears throat> pardon me, usually synonymous with like some sort of idol worship because you're not carving out an image of God. That being said, whenever you said, well, Christians seem to carve out like, you know, my PTR with Jesus and a gun, um, you know, whole uh, carve out images of our God, well, for some Christians will get squeamish and think that's, you know, they shouldn't do that. They shouldn't have a depiction of Jesus. They shouldn't have a depiction of our God because of what I just said, the 10 commandments, you know, shall, or you shall not make any graven image. Um, I see that a lot of Christians see that as, um, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't even portray your God, but a lot of other Christians of which I'm one think it's totally fine to portray your God because you're putting your God first, you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Bible and if you want to scar, you know, scratch out a graven image, uh, an image of your God, well, that's that's totally fine. Like it is your God, it is the one true God that you're having a depiction of. Um, so anyway, there is a split on on Christians about that. Uh, most Christians think it's fine. A lesser amount of Christians think it's not fine. But uh, yeah, so I mean, that's my answer. Like yeah, the point is, neither circumstance is even the Christians who have an image of their God. We don't have an image of Moloch. We're not scratching out images of idols and ball. We're, we're like, right, we're, you know, depicting pictures 
of uh, the actual God in the Bible. So I would I would say that. Hey Nate, I, I mean, did if you put find the a link Christian, in the chat. Like, I did put the link in the chat to the uh, those references in Isaiah. Oh, thanks. Uh, it's awesome. a full dissertation on that uh, apologetic in Isaiah. Okay, yeah. So anyone that wants that, check out the chat and just copy that link. So Nate, uh, I agree that. with your language when you say your God. I think there's very much a possessiveness <clears throat> about God, especially in the Old Testament. Uh, there's even a, a verse, and maybe somebody uh, can remember it, probably in Genesis, well, which which basically says that the number of gods is equal to the number of nations. And I, I think that that um, God was for for the the people that that were writing the text. Uh, he was their God in the same way that that your gun is your gun. It doesn't mean that I don't have a gun. It just means that your gun is yours and my gun is mine. There was a Are kind you of gun. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, we could pick any object, right? That has possession as its quality. Well, yeah, but, but if my your house is, is your house gun. and my house <laughs> is my house. But I wouldn't say that my house is the one true house, although it is for certain the one true house <clears> from my perspective, right? Your house would be foreign to me. Benjamin, did you hear my answer at all? Can you tell me what my answer was? Uh, Chris, were you were you arguing that there was just the one, one true God? I'm sorry, I've taken in three different answers on this. Remind me which was yours. So we talked about henotheism. We talked about Yahweh being the God. Is that what I'm talking about? Is that what's called henotheism? Yes. The notion that every nation has their own God. Correct. That is something. Yeah. Thanks for the word again. That's that's not an easy word to remember, but it is a kind of an important concept to remember, isn't it? Right. And and what the argument is, is that the the ancient in the ancient Near East, henotheism was the order of the day. And what God is telling Moses and and those folks is, again, they don't have a concept of an ultimate. They only have a concept of our God is Israel's God. Okay. Because that stuff, it, it's, yeah, it's really called progressive revelation. So it doesn't come until much later that we're talking about what an ultimate is. And then we redefine what we mean well, by isn't the, God. The idea of an ultimate, a kind of a platonic idea that's introduced into Christianity it's not really um, it's platonic. Kind of you're going to see later on where Marquis. You see, did you see the thing where Marquis had the had the the link there? I think it's to his dissertation. Like all the way into the prophets, we start seeing an idea of the ultimate. Okay, so we see that God is not just the God of Israel, but that He is an ultimate. Okay, so that's taught later on in the Hebrew Scriptures. And then clearly, like Jesus is talking about the supremacism of the one true God. Okay. And then in the Psalms, you've got expressions of the one true God. So my point is, though, that there is there is a progression of revelation that occurs in the Old Testament. And that if we try to put on something like classical theism in terms of the omni properties to, you know, Yahweh, um, with Moses, they wouldn't have had any conception of that. Okay. So in one sense, 
you know, they are worshiping the true, the one true God, because later on in time, we're given more revelation about who that God is and, you know, what an ultimate is, et cetera, et cetera. However, you know, God is just trying and to get you across don't to think the Israelites that the omni, You don't think that the Omni properties um, are a reflection of, of Plato's uh, sort of abstract notion of a thing? No, they're well, actually no, but, Aristotelian, well, but... Well, because just I, I I don't know how this point is lost on us. Like you know, keep in mind like this comes back like you know the the creator God. Like you know they would have had this idea from Adam. Like because Adam's like oh I guess God created me. So there's one God, and whenever you say and I think there, there's something that's lost. And I'm not sure how to solve it because we've tried about three times now. Um, between other gods, like let's just say you know in the Christian paradigm they're demons. Like they they are beings. They are supernatural. They have power. They can do stuff. But they can't create. They haven't always existed. They were created. So when we get ultimate, like this is like I agree with what Chris and you said you had three answers. I'd say not really. You've had different takes on the same answer. Like I think Chris, Marquise, and myself, we're all kind of saying the same thing. We're just we're kind of explaining it in different trails. But you know, Adam certainly had the concept that he was created by this God because he was created by this God. So whenever we say ultimate and there's no other God, and you say, well, isn't that just you know for you because you know you have a gun, you have a God, you have an apple. Everyone has an apple. Well, yeah, but if one is a created apple and one is the ever-existing creator apple, then that's why we say the ultimate, the one true. Because if there's other stuff that has other power that can do some things that humans can't do, well, great. But it was still created. But it Nate, wasn't the there's creator. A, there's a tension. Well, 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 hang, well, hang on. Wait, wait, wait. I just need you to acknowledge that because I may, I may actually like kick a cat. Um, don't really. But um, okay. Like, do you what, get what, what I'm do you saying? Need what, me do you to acknowledge exactly? Okay. That, when that we you've say claimed the, over that, and over that there's one God, like I admitted from the beginning, no, that, that the one we, God that, claim is orthodoxy. No, I mean that when we say the one true or the ultimate or something like that, you understand there is like an actual difference, right? Between like, that's why we say that. Do you get what I'm saying now? I just want you to acknowledge that before we move on. No, I, I'm, I'm, I guess my position, Nate, is that these claims are, are inconsistent. There's... There's a tension between the claim that there's only one God and the claim that God is a jealous God. Like, I don't know if you've raised children, but if you only have one child, that was my experience um, for two generations, that child is not a jealous child. If you have two children, oh my God, that's okay, where so you get jealousy. So you can't have jealousy unless you have peers. Why would God okay. be jealous? That doesn't make I sense like unless I, well, I think there's well, yeah, contention. Well, <clears throat> yeah, I just want to say, I, I mean, I think we're done here. Like if we can't acknowledge that whenever we say, you know, it doesn't have to be an equal peer, like, you know, even our own legal system, you know, by a jury of your peers, that doesn't mean everyone's equal. You could be dumb as a rock and be on a jury board sentencing a PhD to life in prison. But I didn't ask so, I mean, that how many ultimate, <clears throat> I didn't ask how many ultimate gods there were in the Bible. I just asked how many gods there were. How many peers are there? How many brothers and sisters does God have? You well, we answered that. We answered that. But then it seems like you keep going back to, well, there's your God, but then other people have gods too. So that's like the same, right? And I'm just trying to say that whether or not you believe it's true, it doesn't matter. Like whether or not you believe it's true, it doesn't matter. Well, if other religions say, have gods in their books. Uh, Benjamin, I'm sorry, but I can't. We've we've gone like round and round like multiple times after the third time. Uh, brother, what do you want to say? I don't. I there's no worlds we can go with that. Yeah, I have something to say about it. That's why I wanted to come on stage. You know, it's 
years ago whenever I read uh, James Pettigrew Boris's uh, systematic on theology, he was talking about this and he said, uh, suppose that you had all the gods gathered together in a room and uh, the God whose will won out was the most high God. And that would be like how he would explain it. And if the most high God says that he is the only God, that would be an explanation. You know, uh, the Bible calls man God, you know, there's uh, and the, the other speaker, he was talking about tears and stuff. You know, there's a concept of other gods and you may want to call them gods. But God calls himself the only God. And it's just uh, one of the systematic theology tenets or principles that uh, uh, Boyce was teaching. And uh, the Bible calls God the most high God. And that means he's the only God, even if it may use uh, terminology in there to call other spirits or demons or, or whatever, or even man God. It doesn't matter. Uh, Michael, welcome back. Hey, hey. Uh, what a morning. I just had to take part in like the least fun thing ever. Um, so I'm looking for distraction. Uh, well, I'm morbidly curious, but we can offer distraction. <laughs> yeah, I had to, uh, I, I had to let somebody go today, so that was not good. Um, oh. yeah. That's uh, well, you bet. What's up, Yvette? Let's uh, distract Michael for a bit. <laughs> um, did Jesus spiritually die on the cross when he took the sins of the world? No, because you can't kill a God. Oh, okay. That's all my question was. Thank you. <laughs> I, um, I, 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 to go back very briefly, um, I had a phone call at some inter- inopportune moments, so and this may have been addressed, but um, as as far as the, the concept, the biblical concept of the ancient Eastern concept of like deities and how that factors in, I think one thing that we need to make sure in a conversation like this that we sort of keep distinct is are we talking about theological concepts or are we talking about historical concepts? Um, so like I think people have a, a difficult time sometimes separating out Israelite religion like ancient Israelite religion and the biblical texts. So like, you know, sometimes obviously there's overlap between those, but sometimes there's not. And uh, so, you know, like Yahweh having a consort, that's something that would be engaging with um, like ancient Israelite religion, as opposed to uh, what the biblical texts and their canonical forms uh, are trying to, you know, to, to set forth um, as normative or whatever. So I just think those those things are good distinctions to make in this kind of conversation because I think the lines can get blurred and things can get confusing. Sure, sure. I would agree with that. Nate's like, yeah, that that's enough, Josh. Thank you. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I don't have any. I don't have anything to add. <laughs> I mean, I'm just trying not to like, you know, somewhere between like dying on, on air and, and not being able to hit the mute button in time. Goodness. Um, yeah, like I, I had a, I had a, I was sick like a month or gosh, like two months ago now. And I've been fine, except I have this like persistent cough 
And I went to the doctor. I'm like, bro, this is not good. Like, I, I feel fine in every way, but this cough will not go away. And they're like, oh, this is a post-viral cough, blah, blah, blah. It used to only last about, you know, it could last up to like one to two, maybe three weeks. But they're like, now for some reason, it can last people up to like six months. Ha, ha, ha. I'm like, what? They're like, yeah, we don't know what's happened. But in the last couple of years after COVID, like now these coughs can last up to like three to six months. I'm like, that doesn't sound good. So, uh, yeah, apparently I am fine, except I sound like I'm absolutely dying. So, uh, good luck, everyone. Just get lozenges. Just get good lozenges. I, I, I'm torn between, um, it's like the um, Ludens or Ludens, the cherry ones. Those things taste the best. Those are like candy, but um, they don't work as good as the other ones that taste bad. Yeah, I, I like the ones like when when I have a persistent cough, I use the I think it's called Sepacol. They have like a they have like a numbing agent. Uh, I find those work well. Uh, let's see. Let me send out some more random invites. Oh, yeah. Did you want to speak? I have another thought. Uh, yes. You know, on uh, what I said about you know, if all the gods were locked in a room, that God's God whose will won out is the most high God, you know, that's uh, what happened in whenever uh, Israel was uh, delivered from Egypt. Basically, the 10 plagues were God challenging 10 gods of Egypt, you know, as you know, the plague of flies was against uh, Baal, the Lord of the flies and stuff. So basically, they were locked in a room and God's will went out. He's the most high God and he's the only God. Alba, would you like to say anything in uh, in chat or in uh, in voice to address chat? Looks like you're having fun over there. Yeah, I just, I mean, this claim of that, like, the Bible only thinks that there's one God. I think Chris, uh, Chris explained it well. Like, the Bible clearly acknowledges, and the Israelites clearly speak, and God clearly says in the Hebrew Bible, or acknowledges, that at a minimum, other people, other nations think they have other gods at a minimum, and that the Israelites acknowledge that those people think that they have other gods, right? And if it wasn't such a risk that there were actually other gods, why is like the big, a big thrust of the Hebrew Bible, don't go worship other gods, right? At a minimum, you can say because they're false, because they're not real, but maximally you can say because they're not yours, right? And that still maintains that there are multiple gods that the bible acknowledges in other words when the when the israelites crossed the sea in exodus 15 16 15 one of those they say who is like you amongst the gods they don't think there's only one they think there are multiple and that the obligation for israelites is to worship just the one that's the claim that is not controversial amongst bible scholars at all so anybody who says that that's not the way that the Hebrew Bible works doesn't understand the landscape of the Hebrew Bible, neither historically nor biblically. Sounds good to me. Oh, was that what was that what was going on in chat, or were you fighting? Yeah, out that's stuff? it. Yeah, that's it. Oh. Um, no, that was it. Also, also, only children are very jealous of families that have <laughs> multiple children. 
often. I am not sticking up for you, Benjamin. I don't ever stick <laughs> up for you, Benjamin. You can you always think that people are defending you or signing on to what you're saying. Let's be clear. Let's be clear on this once and for all. I do not sign on to anything you say, Benjamin. Even if I agree to it, I will not sign on to it. I'm sorry. And please and please stop using my name to back up the dumb things you say. I'm really sorry. Oh. You and I don't agree on anything. Stop using my name. Would you say you uh, typically can get along uh, with like an Orthodox uh, rabbi pretty well? Or are your contentions uh, beyond civil usually? Or you can just civilly disagree? Yeah. No, we can. Look, amongst rabbis and amongst Jews, we disagree all the time. This is what we do. We have a very thick culture of the ways in which we are supposed to disagree on legal matters, on interpretive matters. I have many colleagues and friends that are Orthodox rabbis. You know, there are topics we tend to stay away from because we know that those are going to be hot and contentious. Um, but yeah, there's no reason, right? Generally, like, we're all totally cool. And like, those differences are not, you know, we'll still invite people over for Shabbat, right? We still have to go to shul with each other next week. Like, there's not, this is not about exclusion. So know? what would be an issue that's too great to reconcile? I mean, someone that would put someone squarely outside of the Jewish faith or like, like, I mean, surely, like, in Christianity, there's got to be, I mean, you know, like, Mormons are like, okay, well, sorry, bros, you're, you're, you can say you're Christian, but just, you're not in any sense of the word for the other, you know, two billion Christians. So, what, what would be the Jewish equivalent of that? Well, it's tricky because we don't believe in our tradition that you can ever get rid of your Jewish status, even if you're a descendant. Right. So it's wouldn't be there. It's not religious. In other words, it's national. Once you have a citizenship in the Jewish people, right? There's nothing you can do to get rid of it. You might be a sinner. You might leave the community. You might decide to believe all kinds of other things. But as far as the system is concerned, you can't get rid of it. Even if you like tried to renounce it, there's no mechanism to renounce it. It's impossible. No. It's impossible. Oh wait, converting converting to a Christian like. Uh, Christianity, like you wouldn't be able to be buried in Jim uh, Jewish cemetery, right? Would that count or still not? They'd be like, well, not, he's Jewish, but he's not, really no. It's not true. That's the whole thing. It's not true. Okay. You can be buried. You can if you lived your entire life, right? You were born to a Jewish mother and you lived your entire life worshiping Jesus, and and the family, right? After you die, says we want him buried in a Jewish cemetery. There's there are some social concerns about whether that would be appropriate, but there are no legal restrictions. That person is a Jew, 100%. And they can be buried in a Jewish cemetery. The question is not whether they remain a Jew. The question is, are they practicing Judaism? Right? Because there's a difference between belonging to the people and practicing the practices of the people. And so if they would have done like, um, I don't know, Bible times, like one of these egregious things, or, you know, I don't know, something that they would have been uh, put to death for. Um, you would have put them death yeah. to death because it was, you know, such an egregious thing that was death worthy. But then you would have been like, well, they're still Jewish. So, you know, put them next to, I don't know, that their family members or something. If you're taking people, if you're taking heretics, right, to court and ex executing punishment on them, then you think they're still subject to the system. That means you think they're still Jews. If they're not Jews, you don't take them to Jewish court. 
you leave them alone. You say, bye. <laughs> but the fact that you take them to court in a Jewish court means they're subject to the system. That means the system thinks they're still Jews. How can you punish somebody? How can you punish somebody who's exited from the system inside a system they're not part of anymore? Yeah, I mean, I guess I would think that, uh, which I guess you've answered a few times now, so I'll shut up. But there's no mechanism to take them to Jewish court where they're questioning whether or not, and then the result of the court is uh, you've done something so egregious, you are now excommunicated, you are no longer a Jew. There is no there such is thing. There, there is excommunication, but the excommunication does not remove one's Jewish status. It simply takes them out of the community. It's an ostracization. It's social. It is not about, right? And in very few cases, is it actually about what you believe, right? I'll tell you, here's a joke, right? But I think this is like telling. Jews are people who believe in one God or less. Um, then how do you okay, reconcile? Think, think about that, right? So you can not, you can be an atheist and you're still a Jew and you can still get honors in synagogue and you can still count for a prayer quorum. None of that, none of that matters. You can not believe in God and you're still part of the Jewish people. Uh, but then how does that, um, unless that was tongue in cheek, like the thing about, you know, they believed in many gods. Well, that was ages ago. Okay. I mean, Judaism for a couple thousand years now has been monotheistic, right? Strictly monotheistic, in, right, in the ways that we understand. In the Bible times, it doesn't seem that way, right? There was, there was loyalty demanded to the God of Israel, right? Because the temptation to go worship other gods was so great. There's clearly other gods. There's clearly other folk traditions that these people would have participated in as a matter of being part of the general cult Canaanite culture, right? That, doesn't, that tells me that those folks thought that there was some effect that happened, that could happen there, right? That's the entire tension between the leadership and the people in the Hebrew Bible. And that's what God's worried about. Put the fringes on your corners of your garment so that you remember who you're supposed to worship, so that you won't be tempted away, right? This is, um, this is Deuteronomy 6, I want to say. No, well, something like that, um, right? So that you're not tempted away, so that you don't serve other gods. It doesn't say so that you don't serve um, non-existent gods. It acknowledges all that. And yet, even then, if you start worshiping Baal, you're not not an Israelite anymore. You just worship the wrong God. That's all. Well, yeah, I mean, I, mean, the whole, I mean, the Old Testament is, you know, constantly like, you know, going after other gods and coming back and repenting and going and coming and going and yeah. Uh, well, welcome, yeah. James. Hey, thanks for bringing me up, Nate. How's it going? Good, good. Uh, yeah, I just noticed you and you and Sean, so I thought I'd see if you guys have anything to say about anything. Uh, not the moment, just enjoying the convo. Uh, is the discussion about an, an atheist can be Jewish? I think that's kind of cool. No, it's the other way around. A Jew can be an atheist. Oh, gotcha. If you're, <laughs> in other words... <laughs> I mean, sure, atheists can be Jewish, right? But it's but it's really the other way around. If you are born to a Jewish mother, 
even if you convert to Judaism, you can be an atheist and you're still good, right? Nobody kicks you out. You might be a sinner, right? It might cause you to be a sinner, but you're, you're yep. not. I fall into that category. Hey, Dai. Did, Lots did of people like question that. or topic of interest. Oh no, I just, I just, I was listening for a while, seeing you said that, and that's just I, that applies to me. Uh, you know, hey, 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 good morning, everybody. I know it's been a couple of days, but uh, I've been really busy. Uh, I want to ask something since we're talking about, and yes, a Jew can be an atheist. <laughs> Yeah, but but notice, the Jew can be an atheist, but the Christian can't. Why do I say that? Because when we re when we read Psalm fourteen one, it says the fool has said in his heart there is no God, and when you reject God, that's foolishness. And I'll take you to the New Testament chapter in the book of Romans chapter 1 where it says professing to be wise they became fools. Do you notice how many of the atheists are in, are in education and science now and now they're in, starting to inculcate into the media and, and, and arts and entertainment? Why? Because people want to rule themselves. That is the basis of being fallen. We want to rule ourselves apart from God, and we can't do it. The scripture is very clear. When you say we can't do that, what, what do you mean? I mean, millions of people do that all the time. It's kind of uh, yeah, they, they do it apart from God, but in the end, and I've always asked the atheist this question, what if you're wrong? Okay, what if you're wrong? Don't don't feel bad. Don't go, answer the question with a question. See, okay, see, I'm only sorry. God I'll, can. I'll, I'll, I'll answer your I'll answer your question without it being a question. If I'm wrong, then the same thing will happen if you are wrong. That that's my answer to you. That's not an answer. It absolutely is an answer. No, that's not an answer. Okay, that it's not the different. answer that you want to hear, but it's, it's the answer. A it's a straw man. So, Sean, you're Sean, you're pretty hard to hear. Like you're chopping up like pretty badly. Oh, okay, I'll go out and come back. I'll go out and come back in. So, Apostle, if I am wrong, James, he, what, he what just what? he James, wait, he just left. He's coming back. Oh, okay. Am I back? All right, he's back now. Can you hear me? How's that related to this? Well, hold on. <laughs> Can you hear me clearly? Yeah. Okay, thank you. Go ahead, go. If I have a moment, I could read a paragraph that I wrote on it. Well, I think Corletta had a question. Can he ask his question first? Yeah, someone was trying to talk to Sean. Yeah, I was just going to comment on being wrong when I die. And if there is a God in heaven and hell, it is what it is, right? I mean, so be it. What's the point? You want to respond to that, Sean? Yeah, the point is, the point is, well, actually, you're right about one point, but then I'm going to ask you this point. See, we as Christians and those who I know about, and, and the Jews, you know, 
uh, and I'm pretty sure Abano in his study. Hell is just the hell is just like getting taken to the Holton set. In the Holton cell, yeah, they're gonna feed you, but they're gonna give you soup and a sandwich. <laughs> That's all you get. That's all you get. Uh, yeah, brother, go ahead and read your paragraph if you got it. Sure, I appreciate it. Hold on, uh, pull it up real quick. Here it's it is. Just right a paragraph, here. right? Yeah, just one paragraph out of one of my gospel tracks. It says, Sometimes the Bible only uses. A word once throughout the whole contents, but often the word says a mouthful, and it's uh, the word atheos. Our Bibles translate this one Greek word by using two English words without God. The original Greek word is atheos. It's where the word atheist is from. It means without God, knowing and worshiping no God, denying the gods, godless, ungodly, abandoned by the gods. The theologian John Gill tells us the word signig, signig, you say it right, signifies atheists, some who were Gentiles in theory as well as in practice, talking about the Jews. And they were by the Jews reckoned no other than atheists. It is a common saying with them that he who dwells outside the land of Israel is like atheos, one who has no God. We see that the first commandment is true, thou shalt have no gods before me. If you worship a God other than the God of the Bible, you are essentially an atheist. And uh, he was applying this word atheos, uh, Jews thinking other Jews were atheists if they didn't worship the Old Testament God. Uh, noted. Well, thanks for sharing. Hey, Necro, what's up? Hey, what's up? Do you want to get in on this? Um, or anything else? Well, I kind of came up because, you know, you wanted to answer, I guess, uh, the apostle wanted answers from atheists, although I identify as agnostic. That, so did you have anything to say, or are you just here to answer um, whatever? Yeah, I mean, he asked what if we're wrong. Um yeah, I think it's interesting. It's like, I actually um, have thought about this and, you know, I just thought like if there was, it turned out that Christianity was true. Um, I would just ask this God, you know, what exactly I did that was wrong. Well, I mean, under the Christian paradigm, we can answer you that. It's say, you know, Jesus says, you know, he didn't come to condemn the world or, you know, the whole world. Uh, could be saved through him. But if the world is condemned, it's because they didn't believe in Jesus. So, I mean, you know, if there's any validity to the Bible, that's the answer. Like, what did I do wrong? You self-condemned through not believing in God's one and only son for reconciliation. I mean, let, let me ask um, a, a just kind of like a slight turnaround question to that whole well, notion, I mean, right? I guess maybe if I could respond to that. Um, um, go ahead, I guess yeah, I guess really to me, it's like the only um, thing about me is just that, you know, um, it's really, you know, I don't know how it's possible for me to believe when I have no way of really having any way to verify it. Um, beliefs, don't need ver beliefs don't need verification. Yeah, so... 
because if they the need bias justice, is true, they need justification, not verification. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm just saying if because if the Bible was true, then it would definitely change a lot of ways. Um, I would understand reality because I would be believing in something that desires everybody to understand them, but yet there are people who clearly do not understand this God. And so, but yet this God desires people to understand them. Yeah, Nate, I'd love to chime in when everybody's done. I got a, I got a couple of comments. Yeah, can, can I ask or point out what I wanted to point out or ask my question real quick? And then, Michael, you can go. Yeah, oh, yeah, uh, yeah sure. go ahead. Die and then Michael. Yeah, so I would say that the question about, uh, you know, basically the Pascal's wager that was offered earlier, I would say the same thing, right? What if you spent your whole life worshiping the Christian God and and um, doing it in the way that, that you feel follows the Bible, but it turns out that it was really wrong and there was something slightly different about the actual God and you spent your whole life doing it the wrong way and you end up in purgatory anyway. That would be my question. Like, how do you know for sure that you followed everything correctly and that the translations over the years have been correct and that events happened as were written and that you haven't been offending the actual God with your practices? How do you know that's the case? So that, that, that to me completely nullifies the what if there really is a God and it really is the God of the Bible and you spent your whole life and all you had to do was just live that way. Well, what if that's really the worst thing that you could be doing? So I don't know. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, my answer, well, I mean, my answer is the same one. Michael is going to get sick of me saying, but I mean, you know, we theists, not just Christians, you know, we believe in the spiritual world and I believe there's something deeper than just like a book that I'm trying to like interpret, right? Like, you know, I read the words in the book, but there's something deeper than that, like on the spiritual level that I am connected to God that like verifies, yes, like that's why this book is true. This collection of these books that we call the Bible is true. <clears throat> and I get something more from this that resonates than I do with like the Bhagavad Gita or, you know, the Quran, peace be upon it, or something like that. And I'm sure, you know, other other theists can claim the same thing. Um, and I, I have an idea of why that is, but um that's what I would say. So it, it goes just beyond someone saying, hey, believe this book because it promises it's really, really true. Yeah, well, um, I, no I mean, I'm specifically believe. referring <clears throat> to people who say are talking about a specific God, right? And not about just general spirituality, because well, there me. are specific tenets that you must follow. And if you don't, then you're not considered to be that religion, right? So, right. So I'm talking, yeah, I'm talking about the perspective of a Christian, but I, I mean, I'm just trying to preempt this because, you know, then you could say, well, why couldn't some other theists say the same thing? Well, they could make a claim that they're in tune with their God. So like, you know, I believe that, you know, we're told for Christians of which I am that, you know, God himself will live with you and guide you into like, you know, this truth and understanding. So if, for example, I don't know, I just like to think that if someone had put something in the Bible that was not from God that was like, hey, Jesus actually says, um, I don't know, something's very contrary to Jesus. And be like, well, then I would be one of these Christians that say, no, the Bible has errors because my my soul or my spirit um, tells me that this is a problem with this Bible. Someone edited this or someone did something funky with it. That's why I'm not going to keep this tenet that God supposedly said because I don't believe God did it. For example, we'll never know because that didn't happen, I believe. Um but, yeah, that, but that would I, be what that would be. Yeah. So like when the Bible says we should keep these tenets, we should do these things. I do that because, you know, my spirit bears witness or something in my soul 
resonates that this is true. Um, I feel like you're not entertaining the hypothetical though, because you're you're just dismissing the fact that in this hypothetical that that is the case and that it did happen and that your spirit didn't protect you from doing the wrong thing. Well, right. right? So in that, well, that's that's kind of what I was getting at. So let me let me try to be clear. So for the hypothetical, okay. that's that's my choice. So it's not just because of like this external material data. It's something deeper that I rely on to help me make these choices. So if doing that, if this supernatural, the spiritual world that I claim exists, um, either does it and it's all in my head, or I misinterpret it and I got it wrong, and then I meet. I mean, if I guess if they're no God, then we'll just never know and this conversation doesn't matter. But if there is a God and it's different or I'm following this God wrong, well, then I guess I would be in your boat and I'd be like, oh, well, oops, I did the best I can. You know, I really, really thought the spiritual stuff was from you. Um, so for this hypothetical scenario, I would still claim this layer deeper, this like spirituality, the spiritual world. Um, but yeah, I mean, for hypothetical, if you're wrong, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Yep, but I really don't point. think I'm wrong, and the reason I and I, I just so I've answered your hypothetical, which yep. we all can. Like if we're wrong, we're wrong. But I just wanted to point out that the the theist, because I want to be fair to everyone, but especially the Christian, you know, like myself and then the other Christians, we don't just say, well, you know, we believe this book because of scholars or just because of I don't know whatever reasons. Like it is the spiritual world that we believe the God that inspired this Bible actually lives with us and guides us into to doing this the right way and seeking this correct God. So it's, it's a little more complicated than just because a book says it's true. Um, but ultimately for your hypothetical, yeah. I mean, if anyone's wrong, anyone's wrong. Right. I, I mean, I, I can politely intersectively disagree that, that everybody thinks that way because they don't, there are definitely people who believe in the Bible just because that's what's written, not because of what it says. So anyway, you can move on to the next person, but sure. Uh, Michael, you wanted to say something, I believe. Yeah. So uh, it, it's 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 funny. I'm I'm sure you I'm sure you you felt me rolling my eyes when Apostle went into Romans, um, and so it it is interesting, right? Uh, Christopher Hitchens said something very interesting. He said, you know, he said, you know, the Christian God is just one of you know more than a thousand gods that have been you know uh, postulated over a millennia, right? Um, and because of the mutually exclusive properties and attributes and opinions and thoughts and feelings of these gods, it is not possible for all of them to be right. At best, one of them can be right. And while they can't all be right, they can all be wrong. And so the Christian God at best, and I think Lawrence Krauss also said this in a debate he was doing once, he said at best, the Christian God, if you go with a thousand figure, you know, has a 0.1% chance of being accurate, right? So, but I also want to ring into something that Abba said, because I complete, I, I, I don't think I could agree with it anymore. Beliefs do not require verification. So if you tell me you believe something, that's fine. However, knowledge claims do require verification. So you can tell me you believe it and I'll accept it, but you tell me, you know, it, you better be able to back it up. Sounds fair. Uh, Biscuit. Did you want to speak? Yeah, I had a I had a question, if I may. Sure. Um, so we as Christians believe that God has desires. W- would you grant that, or would you push back on that? I may push back, but for now, sure. Okay, and I'd be interested to hear the pushback too. But um, so if we believe that God has desires. 
Uh, desire is the lack of fulfillment uh, with respect to whatever the desired thing is, at least in the English dictionary. So how can we say that God both has desires and is completely fulfilled? Because we think of God as a fulfilled being, and God offers fulfillment to us. Well, my first thing, I, I mean, I would just kind of wonder why we think God is fulfilled. Like, what are the implications? Like, what theologically makes us have to think God is fulfilled? And is that accurate? Like, is that an accurate thing that God has to be fulfilled? I'm not saying whether or not one or the other. That's just kind of a, a quick thing I had. But I'd say the desires, the pushback I would give is anthropomorphic language. Like, or, you know, um, you know, like lots of times, like it will say, like, you know, God repented um, and things like that to like convey <clears throat> how humans do it. But then in like a few chapters later, it say, you know, God is not a man that he should repent. Um, so things like that. I'd say clearly there is like language being used here to describe things and attribute things to God um, in human terms, because we, we can't we can't communicate what we would really want to from God because he's God. Um, so I, I would say a couple of those things. And then as far as desires, like, you know, for, was it second or first Peter that talks about, you know, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repent, uh, repentance. So if we're saying that's a desire of God, then does that mean God doesn't get what he wants? So he's unfulfilled or God's not powerful enough to command it. Um, you know, in traditional Christianity, no one would think that. So there's gotta be something else. It's like, he is, if we want to say God's fulfilled, which I'm fine with, he's God, he is everything, he sustains everything. Um, that was just kind of an off-the-shoot question. But um, yeah, I think God will not necessarily get things he wants. Like, you know, not everyone is going to come to repentance. Probably not everyone in this room right now is going to come to repentance. But it clearly tells us that God wants this. He wishes this, uh, but not enough to dominate and command it. Um, so I'd say that doesn't make him, that doesn't make him any less fulfilled like maybe it would for a human somehow. Yeah, you know, um, I appreciate you kind of tackling both of those perspectives. I was in a Muslim room yesterday and I kind of offered up the same question. And they said something similar about the anthropomorphization where they say, uh, we, yes, God has desires and God has wants, but they're not the same type of desires and wants that human beings have. And so the, that's the question, which I mean, that, that makes sense, you know, but the question would then become, uh, do we understand what it means at all then when God says he has wants and desires? If it's not the type of desire that appears in our dictionaries, um, but is something else, then the statements really have no meaning then. Well, I mean, to use the example I, I used a minute ago, like this, I think it's first, I think it's second Peter. That's where I'm going to put my money. Um, don't gamble. Um, but I would say, you know, I still understand that. Like when I read it, I've never been confused. I'm like, what does God mean when he says he wants all people to come to repentance? Well, I mean, he wants all people to come to repentance, but he's not going to command it and take over someone's will and dominate them and force it. So yes, he, he wants that. It's not a mystery. Like he would like everyone to stop being evil, stop doing what they know is wrong and to repent and follow Christ, we believe. Um, right. But and, if and they so won't. With, it, with that. With that, it's like it's not an anthropomorphization now because because now we're saying we're applying the same word from the English dictionary. Like I, if I want a burger, right, I'm I'm not fulfilled with respect to that desire until I get the burger. But we think of God as like the best imaginable being, the best possible being, and we can think of a being which is completely fulfilled 
and has no desires. And that would be presumably better than the being that has desires which are unfulfilled. I have thoughts. Well, right? no, well I, I want to hear your thoughts, Pastor Stefan, just uh, about 15 seconds. So one thing is, I mean, I, I think the way to kind of subsume this argument um, is to make a bigger picture. And that's if someone, like if, if they don't believe the Bible, then I guess our conversation is at an end. But to someone who says, because this is an interesting thought-provoking topic. I lied, Steph. It's going to be like a minute. I'm sorry. But it's an interesting thought-provoking topic. But ultimately, if someone says they believe in the Bible um, and they'll take it you know, at face value, like this is what the Christian God wants us to have. I believe the Bible is true. Well, then the Bible makes a claim that, you know, this this is the the best judge in all of the universe. Like there is no other. There is no equal. So this is the best possible being to be in the driver's seat. So if you believe that and believe that the Bible is true in that claim, then I would say no matter what we think of, you know, could there be a, be a being better suited to do this, whether it had wants and desires, got all wants and desires fulfilled, had neither wants or desires. Like that doesn't matter because we're told that whatever this God is, um, as far as as far as thoughts, desires, anthropomorphic language, the way we understand it, the claim of the Bible is this is the best God to be in the driver's seat. There is no other. Um, so I just say that would be a, a claim from the Bible. Um, if someone says they don't believe the Bible and they don't believe those claims, well, then uh, I guess, sure, the conversation's over. But uh, yes, Steph, you have thoughts. Do you have wants and desires? Would you say that? <laughs> yeah, uh, my... My question that, hi, Biscuit, long time no see, it's so awesome. Yeah, it's been a minute, here. Steph. I know, how you doing? Good. Um, good, okay, glad to hear it. I would, off the top, have a question about the definition of desire that we're using here. Um, so even before getting to anthropomorph anthropomorphic language and all that good stuff, I'm wondering, I have many desires, but I also am a fulfilled person, right? So I have, like... My, I'm fulfilled by my family and by my career and by working around my home and my church family, like all the stuff that I have in my life, right? I feel like a fulfilled, content, whole and complete human being. Um, but then when I think about a cheeseburger, I want that. But if I don't get the cheeseburger, it doesn't take away from the fulfillment. Like, I, I don't know that having, I don't know that having a desire automatically means there's a lack of fulfillment somewhere. Um, uh, yeah, so I, re I respect that. I, I was just looking up on the Oracle, <clears throat> Google, uh, a desire is a strong feeling of wanting to have something or wishing for something to happen. And then when we look up fulfillment, Fulfillment means the achievement of something desired, promised or predicted. Sure. Um, so it seems like those two things cannot exist synonymously in one being with respect to the same desire. So someone cannot can simultaneously exist. have a desire and be fulfilled with respect to that desire. Yeah. Okay. But they can be, they can exist both in us, right? In the way that I just described, even on a human understanding without bringing God into it, we can understand that we can both be fulfilled and have a desire. Um, there are plenty of people who are feeling like perfectly fulfilled in their lives who also desire like, oh, I want, I'm happy in my life and I want my children to have a good life also. Um, and if my child loses their job or breaks up with their girlfriend or comes to some kind of hardship, it doesn't take away from my own fulfillment, right? So if I see the way that you're arriving at it using the two dictionary definitions, 
But in actuality and in how life actually functions, the two are not mutually exclusive. Are you using yeah, I don't the know word fulfillment? I, well, 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 hang on. I, I know uh, Necro had something he wanted to say, too. But I, I don't know if I'd necessarily go to Google to uh, uh, make God beholden to that definition. But Necro is trying to get into. Uh, Necro, did you want to say something? Um, yeah, I was just a question. I, I'm not in a way, anyway. Um, just want to say I'm not in any way anti-gun, but I've, one of the things that I've wondered is just um, as a common trait, as I've seen your photo, um, as well as within Christians um, being on the right, um, is that the Second Amendment is pretty important to uh, American Christians, and I just want, would like to know. Uh, what do you think Jesus would think about the Second Amendment, and do you think he would have said he who lives by the bullet shall die by the bullet? Okay, I thought it was going to be about this. Uh, yeah, I'm happy to answer that question. I like that topic, but yeah, let's uh, we will tackle that right after this. Um, yeah, continue on. Uh, who was it, Steph? Uh, I think Steph, Biscuit had a question for me about the way I'm using the word fulfillment. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, uh, Nate brought up something interesting about, you know, God being, you know, beholden to to Google definitions. And I, I respect that that pushback. But at the same time, the English language is something that we just came up with to communicate with each other. And so the Bible, if we have an English Bible, um, presumably God in heaven doesn't prefer English over Spanish, over Aramaic or any of that. But the words that we're reading, right, are supposed to be for us to digest and to, to understand that way. But but Steph, um, when you said, uh, I feel fulfilled, that's an interesting uh, <clears throat> colloquial usage of fulfillment. And I think it does work, because a lot of times we say we feel fulfilled, but fulfillment uh, isn't a, it's not a feeling, it's a state of being, it's a, it's a state of having achieved something desired, promised, or predicted, regardless of how that makes you feel after the fulfillment of the desired thing. So if we okay. can we can say maybe God feels fulfilled, though he isn't. Um, okay, is that what so are you using it more like, I see what you're saying. So is it more like you might say, how can God lack nothing if God lacks the believers that he desires? Right. Is that the question? Okay, okay. Um, yeah, so I would argue that God is whole and complete without people. And it's like, it's exactly as you just described, if God, and again, we're trying, okay, I completely agree with you that the language used in the Bible ought to be reliable, right? So what I'm not going to do is dismiss it as like, well, it doesn't mean that the way we, you know, it, it's something that should be understandable, right? So considering it that way, I would then perceive it that God is he doesn't have a need. He is not lacking because we don't believe, although he would prefer that we did. He would desire that we do, right? So then uh, I would prefer that I could eat ice cream every day for dinner because I like it a whole lot, but I'm not lacking anything by not eating ice cream for dinner. So I'm going to keep coming back to that. Like, I don't think that a desire and I don't think a desire implies a lack to something's core. But um, so when you bring that up, when you say, because I've had those desires too, desires for things that are um, ultimately not for my benefit, right? Um, like if I desire to have ice cream, like right before bed, um, I can be uh, still fulfilled, even though uh, I lack what it is that I desire, because 
what I desired in that instance wasn't ultimately good for me. But God wouldn't have anything like those desires. God wouldn't desire anything that's not perfectly good, right? Everything God desires is a perfectly good desire and yeah. should be fulfilled, you know? Um, and so if God is not fulfilled with respect to God's desires, um, I don't know. I, I, there's something I'm going to have to just kind of sit with. I mean, of course, I, I believe that God is fulfilled and God doesn't have any desires. Um, but uh, and so I, I would go so far as to say that maybe the anthropomorphization is, you know, kind of taking literally when the Bible says God desires this or that, when in actuality, the nature of God suggests that we ought to do this or that. There you go. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. God is not lacking because we don't believe, right? So at the root of your question, is God lacking? The answer is no. And so then what about what about people who don't believe? Well, God still lacks nothing, even though people don't believe and he wishes that they would. Like that's, yeah, God lacks nothing is the answer. And then how do you reconcile that with him desiring for people to believe, you know, this is actually probably the strongest argument for Calvinism I've ever heard, uh, is that in <laughs> order for this to work, Calvinism must be true. Um, so yeah, I'm going to chew on this also of all of the arguments I've ever heard in my life. This is the one that I think might have some merit. So let me, let me wow. Someone, someone clipped that and sent it to Chris. Well, this guy Don't solved easier than I thought it would. None and of by you solved, I guess. tell him that I said that. <clears throat> <laughs> um, so by solved, I guess you guys both have something to think about, but, uh, yeah, Necro, we're going to answer your question, but real fast to get one on deck, uh, daily, did you have a question or are you just hanging out for just after hang, we're done with Necro? For uh, Necro? Yeah. So the question, let me see if I got a Necro was, uh, Jesus and guns, would Jesus support the second amendment? Is that kind of, yeah, if I got that right. Yeah, that was correct. I mean, who's to know if they had like, you know, combustible projectile launchers back in the day, if Jesus would have. But I mean, you know, you can infer like some people will make cases using all the same Bible verses um, for or against self-defense, which is really what this is about. Because, you know, there, there are laws that transcend, you know, a, a certain type of weapon. So knife, rock, a paper cut with infection. Um, so, you know, there are some things that are, are laws. So murder, unjustified killing, no matter the mechanism, you should not do that. Even secular moral or secular humanist societies have come to that understanding. Like unjustified killing, murder is wrong. Um, so Jesus certainly would not support murder. Um, that's all throughout the Bible. Um, but as far as self-defense, um, there are some things like, you know, Jesus in one passage says, and this context is key, but he talks about, you know, uh, get rid of your sword and, you know, buy, uh, is it like, in Revelation, he talks about, like, you know, you'll beat your weapons or whatever into plows and, like, turn them into farming tools. But the context is after he's, like, you know, comes back as this conquering king and writes all the wrongs and there's nobody to do violence against. Um, so then you beat your weapons into plowshares. There's another one where I think he – doesn't he say somewhere, correct me if I'm wrong, like, sell your weapons and buy a cloak or something? Um, but or, that, I, I got that wrong. But I thought yeah, there was one thing that said word. sell your – I, yeah, I thought there was one thing that basically said get rid of your weapons to, to buy food or something, but there's definitely the one that says sell your cloak and buy a sword, um, which is what people always cite for self-defense, which I think is fair, uh, but then we don't know the reason. Um, so is the reason for uh, legitimate self-defense from like highwaymen, robbers, like on the road, people trying to like cause you harm, are you able then to defend yourself to the point of death if that's what it takes, 
or is it to to just like project fear or the, the threat so no one messes with you in the first place? Or is it for wild animals or is it to chop down trees for firewood? So we don't know the actual intent, but I think, you know, given the culture where they are constantly on the road traveling to and from cities, it's very dangerous. So I think you can fairly assume that it is with the intent of self-defense. Um, so that that's some of the ideas. But yeah, I um, it's hard to say if Jesus would support the Second Amendment because, you know, his uh, his kingdom is not of this world. And this is a very American kingdom type rule. But I'd, I'd like to say yes. But honestly, we have no accurate way to answer that. We could just kind of read into some Bible verses and then apply it to our Caesar today. But um, yeah, I think I think self-defense is just fine. Gotcha. Thanks. What are your thoughts on that? You asking me? Yeah. Um, about what Jesus said or the Second Amendment? Either. Uh, about the Second Amendment, I mean, I think there's much legitimate debate about what it actually meant. Uh, there's been some, like, for example, John Paul Stevens, the justice um, who retired a few years ago, um, said that I uh, originally was attended any person who, when it says a well-regulated militia, that any person who wished to join to be a part of the forces should be allowed to arm themselves. And so, you know, there's much room for interpretation about what the Second Amendment is. But now, of course, um, the gun lobby would interpret it that any person has the right to own guns to be able to defend themselves since everybody is able to make themselves a uh, member of defense by being a part of society. So. I agree with a lot of what you say. Um, I mean, without having a huge discussion about it, um, personally, like I, I grew up in gun culture and I grew up around this stuff since I was very, very young. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm under the impression, you know, an armed society is a polite society. Um, and, you know, somewhere between like a civilized version of frontier justice. Um, I don't know if there's some safe scenario to test out what I'm about to propose, because I, I don't know if I'd really just want to like dive headfirst into it. Uh, but if there is some safe way to test it um, to see if this had promise. Um, yeah. Whoever wants a gun, you know, you're old enough, which I, I question 18. I mean, it makes sense for our laws that you're sort of an adult. I mean, you, you know, we send people off to the military to fight with guns. So why couldn't you own one on your own? Well, let's just say 18. Like at 18, you know, the government provides you a gun, just everyone. Like mental health issues, not like crazy people, like declared murderers. Like, I'm going to kill people. Give me a gun. I'm going to kill you. I, if there were a safe way to test that, I have a hunch that, quote, mentally unstable people would get stable real quick. Or there would be a whole lot less mentally unstable people. Uh, people who were declared homicidal maniacs, if they just got a gun, I have a feeling they would quickly become well-adjusted members of society, or there would be a whole lot less homicidal maniacs with guns. Um, so that's that's kind of kind of my thought. I'm pretty sure it would work, but obviously you wouldn't want to just hand everyone guns and test that in real time, uh, because if I'm wrong, lots of people are dead. Um, but if there was a safe way to test that and get a get kind of like a gauge, um, I have a feeling it would work, and I'd really like to see it. Yeah, I Anyways. mean, also, it's like a lot of the times, like when the Constitution was written, like the world was much different than it is today, where everybody's mostly like doesn't isn't a part of like doesn't see like 50 years ago, everybody used to um, 
regularly see their neighbors like every week nowadays it's like they like it's barely people barely go over to their neighbor's house because they're too involved with their own lives and so the way that the constitution like the second amendment was understood was i would say it would be like the time is definitely very different so well i i mean i'd say the one thing that was constant and then yeah we can bring other people and change the topic it seems like this is a conversation to kill the room but uh, um i would say i mean you know originally the the which is crazy because usually people are very opinionated but say you know the original purpose was to stop our government from becoming like all the governments that everyone fled from to get here um and then you know the common argument like you know our dear leader recently made is if you want to overthrow the government you need (laughs) f-16s whatever wonderful um but the point was to keep our government from becoming an oppressive tyrannical regime and i would say still uh that that plays a very important part today. So, you know, regardless of, you know, people and community and neighbors or even self-defense, like it's a great bonus or cheering on top of the second amendment to be able to have self-defense at your fingertips when police calls are increasingly getting longer and longer response times. So, you know, having the self-defense is an amazing bonus, but the original intent was to stop the government from becoming a tyrannical oppressive regime. Um, And I think now, as we see, depending on your bent, or, you know, opening your eyes, um, as more and more people are fighting against the Second Amendment, and it seems like the government is making more and more, you know, moves towards kind of like, do this, like with certain, you know, mandates they're doing and things like that. It's just like getting, making everyone's kind of like hairs in the back of their neck prickle up, because it's like, this is getting uncomfortably close to what we're talking about. So like, even 100 years ago, it wasn't that way. So I would say more so than ever, the Second Amendment is important, because we see that as the Second Amendment is getting more and more pushback against it, at the same time, the government seems to be getting more and more bold about just kind of randomly declaring emergencies, declaring executive powers, and, you know, forcing, like, shot mandates or different compliance on people um, where I don't believe they should, so they're overstepping. And then the last point, and then I'll probably shut up about this, I'll try to, is as far as, yeah, we're not going, they're like, oh, well, you know, you need nukes to take over the world. Well, on one hand, I guess, you know, I know this is not the right answer because someone is definitely crazy enough to nuke the planet. But, yeah, let people buy whatever they have the ability to buy. I mean, the chances of people being able to buy nukes, I mean, you know, half the planet, countries and governments can't even afford or have the technology to acquire them. So, I mean, that's that's in theory, sure, but in practicality, it's not like everyone's going to have nukes or heavy arms or even tanks. So the amount of if there was no restrictions, the amount of weaponry people could legitimately acquire would certainly be more than what we have now, but it would be less than like nuclear weapons. Um, I mean, governments can't even do that. Um, and but I think just having small arm munitions, you know, uh, automatics, rifles, you know, percussive stuff, um, that's still enough to stave off local police departments if they ever act corruptly, which we have plenty of examples of, like people overthrowing their or overexerting their authority, doing things that are not legal and lawful orders things that the federal government, um, given enough time, have stepped in and reined in like, you know, local rogue police departments or cities and stuff like that. But having, uh, you know, having people like a militia that had weapons that were able to stave them off instead of just getting ran over and thrown into jail unjustly, that has proven time and time again to be very beneficial. So that's that's what I would say. Um, Steph, are you a gun owner? I Sorry, I'm dealing with so much nonsense in the chat. Um, no, but I would be. Uh, you know, I, yeah, no problem with that. I think that, uh, no, but you would be. Yeah. I mean, 
I just don't own a gun, but I'm all in favor of everybody who does. The, Can I the, tell you wouldn't be baptized? Sorry, I'm sorry. Yes, exactly. That is correct. I'm getting baptized this summer. Everyone, leave me alone. All right. So, the you know the the thing the the question, and I missed some of what you said, Nate, because of nonsense. But would Jesus support the Second Amendment? I mean, it has everything to do, like Nate said, with the time in which it was, you know. Uh, written and developed. So we have, what we know is that Jesus said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, right? So when the constitution was uh, developed and during the time of the revolutionary war, the argument was who is Caesar and what is he owed? And so then they decided, well, we're being taxed without representation, therefore we must rebel and all this other stuff that went into that, right? And they're, they're being ruled by, uh, you know, okay, we all know the history. So then the decision is, we are going to become an independent nation. So we are no longer rendering unto Caesar what is Caesar's because we have no Caesar. And so in order to maintain this, we're going to develop a government that is controlled by the people and never gains too much power. And so that's what we have. So that's, I mean, in my opinion, uh, would Jesus have developed exactly the American government overall? Probably not, right? <laughs> I mean, if we get to heaven and there's a constitution, then I guess I'll be proven wrong. But my idea is no. But within our governmental structure, is the, was the Second Amendment appropriate at the time it was written? Yes, it was crucial to the whole thing. Is it still appropriate now? Yes, for all the reasons that Nate just explained. So if we're going to come back to the render unto Caesar, what is Caesar's thing? Obey your nation's laws. Then my answer would be yes. Well, wait, With you know what? We're kind of all Caesar. Like, I mean, you know, a government of the Caesars, by the Caesars, and for the Caesars, like, you know, each each citizen is kind of a Caesar. And we keep it that way by, <laughs> the, you know, and it's what Necro is saying, like, the right to bear arms is not necessarily against my neighbor, right? I would be, it would be very difficult for me to shoot somebody who broke into my house. If I felt I were in physical danger, that would be different. But if someone is running off with my TV, I imagine that I would not shoot them in the back, right? So we're not talking about that kind of situation. We're talking about citizenry, the idea of citizens having power against their government to prevent um, an overreach is, I don't see anything in conflict. It's like something the Bible doesn't talk about. And I mean, that's, I mean, that's one of the, that, that's, I've never actually thought about it that way. That That's really interesting. The, um, I mean, yeah, because, you know, rendering to Caesar, well, our Caesar rendered the second amendment unto us. So our Caesar, uh, you know, us, rendered the power of Caesar unto us. So if our Caesar ever starts acting crazy, then our Caesar says, hey, use the power we rendered to you against us to keep us from being crazy. I have never thought about that that way. Because, yeah, it's not like, well, our Caesar is us. Like, I mean, the United States is really unique in that sense. It's not just like, you know, I mean, now there's like elections and stuff. But I mean, really, the the Constitution is is unique. So, I mean, we are our Caesar. I mean, clearly, I think the intent is to uh, for everybody to be paying into Caesar's trust fund for his family. That would be um, the context. <laughs> so we, we need to do that. Jesus would have been yeah. a socialist, just saying. Lies. Crawl back into your rock. 100%. Like, no well, question. The, anything else. Socialist. Totally the, socialist. The do you really believe that? Functioned in a socialist capacity, right? Wrong. But, no. Okay. What? And yes, Nate, I totally, I, 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 I do believe that. Yeah, without question, Jesus would have been a socialist. No question at all. So, <laughs> no, so the big because... difference is, well, yeah, Steph. The big, the big reason is I'm not even. Um, so that's a bit. It's, it's all about force. So, like socialism, your government 
takes your money. Your government demands you give uh, this much money. Jesus, this, the first century church, Acts, all of it, no one demanded. Even when Ananias and Sapphira lied right to the Holy Spirit and got stricken down by it, um, Peter says, why did you do this? Like, your money was yours. It was yours to give. It was yours not to give. Socialism would never say that. Socialism would say, you need to give this money or bad things are going to happen. Socialism would never say, hey, you don't want to give? Don't give. Yep. So, so that, that is a huge – well, to finish. So that is a huge reason why Jesus, the first century church, was not socialism. It's true. They were all giving massive amounts. It's the intent and the force behind it under you know, the Christian uh, paradigm. There was no force, uh, no coercion. Under socialism, you're absolutely having money taken from you. Are you saying uh, that communists rather it's, than it's, social? Because socialism is is about like as an economic <clears throat> structure, the way that the church functioned. There was like I don't know that socialism implies compulsion, but you know that that's well, a, there's there's a ton so. of nuance between socialism and communism. Right. There's a galaxy of difference between those two. I mean, I hate them both for the record. I think like okay, so I imagine again if we're talking about a government that Christ would set up, what we will see in heaven probably will not function like capitalism, but we don't actually I don't even have enough information to say that. Maybe it could. But the point is like I, you have to would jesus be a socialist today after all that has happened under socialist governments no but was the early church functioning in a communal capacity yes you can say communal but you can't say because yeah, it, it has so much conversation like you know everyone needs to define terms like you know when everyone says socialist today like i can't get bernie bernie sanders and his little centipede meme out of my head like that's what i i think he's like i'm a democratic socialist if you try telling bernie sanders hey bernie uh you know i support your socialism but i don't want to pay any money uh, Bernie is not going to agree with you. Like, no, it's democratic. You pay your fair share. You pay your fair share. I mean, um, so that's what everyone thinks of when we think of socialists today. Before Necro goes, my husband just said, obviously Christ has established a monarchy at the end. And he's right. I agree. Good job, Chad. Right. And we can't say like, you know, if Christ set up a kingdom, because when Christ sets up his kingdom, we're not going to have to pay anything. Like we have, I mean, you know, going on the Bible, whether you believe it or not, the claim is, you know, when we've got transmutated streets of gold, um, you know, people, there's not going to be an economy like everything is just provided for. Like it is what every communist ever hoped communism would be um, with no money, no economy. Everything you ever want is right there given to you by your creator. So um, just just to say um, whether or not you believe it, that's the story in the book. Um, yeah, go, Chad. Good job, Chad. He should join. Um. Yeah, I mean, specifically, I mean, I think if you're talking about like the government compelling people to get to give um, or else, I mean, I think isn't I mean, I think that that's already taxation by anything like Jesus said, give unto Caesars that which is Caesars. Um, but it's, I mean, I think when people talk about socialism, though, I think the fact is most people don't even know, like aren't even aware of what socialism much less what capitalism is um and i think you know um when people like you know talk about like the soviets um like many people don't understand i think uh the the reason why you know it's been defamed as socialism what happened in the soviets because um you know one the soviets used it to attract people and the America's used it to antagonize people, but I mean, you know, um, it was not in any way. I mean, if you look up socialism, um, 
the way it was classically defined, um, you know, as far away from any socialist would have understood it where workers democratically controlled the means of production. Um, while Soviet, <clears throat> I mean, Soviets, it was virtual slavery and pretty very much in line with uh, capitalism at its worst. So. What? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, specifically. I was with you until the last, uh, the last part. I mean, I think it's interesting. It's like capitalism. It's like everything can like is controlled by the businesses which outcompete each other because the goal of capitalism is the maximization of profit. Kyoto has some arguments on this topic, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, and Steph, um, would you like to stay or shall we shut it down soon? Because I have to go in about five minutes. Uh, yeah, five minutes is a good time for me to stop too. Okay, uh, yeah, Kyoto, go ahead and then we may have to end because I'm going to have to run. I'm not really good at like the econ debates, but I was going to say, I think a, a big difference between the way that the early church ran and how like socialism is, is proposed is whether or not it's the role of the civil magistrate to like provide these resources to the people versus whether or not it's the role of the church to do so. I think that Christ would probably take the position that it's the role of the church versus the role of the civil magistrate. Ooh, good point. But I mean, when he talks about Caesar, like that is the, the civil magistrate. Yeah. So I don't think that he would say that it's the role of the civil magistrate to provide these needs and in, in, in acts. It isn't the civil magistrate and acts. It's the church doing it. So. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. So as far as like the civil magistrate, you know, give to greedy Caesar for what greedy Caesar needs. But when it comes to like the kind of socialist idea, like this giant welfare safety net, um, that should be the role of the church um, to do that, not the role of government to provide like, you know, welfare, uh, food, shelter, clothing. Is that what you're saying? So like civil magistrate can get whatever civil magistrate wants. But then when it comes to like the civil magistrate stepping in for like welfare and stuff, that should be the church provides. Right. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I think I may kind of agree with that. Maybe someday we'll, let's all end on the right side of attorney and we can ask Jesus ourselves. <laughs> well, everyone, this is an interesting conversation. Uh, Michael, Daly, yeah, I'm do sorry, you guys I like to say anything else? Into politics. It was a good, no, it, was, it was good. I, I, I like it. I, I mean, usually it gets derailed into philosophy and, you know, hard solipsism and stuff like that. And Maybe my brain even, is melted. You know, yeah. yeah. I just got to say, I'm more of a politics guy than, I mean, even though I find politics to be dumb, I also find it very important. You know, I find people get more upset about politics, surprisingly, than religion, because it's like, you know, even in politics, like even if people think religion, you know, may be real or they're on the fence about it, um, politics is more in your face, like immediately. Like, you know, people may be like, okay, well, maybe there's a God somewhere that'll affect me someday. Um, you know, even though theists usually believe they're affecting everything in their lives on the day to day, but you know, someone, um, someone's like, well, look, what this guy did on the news right now is affecting me right now. Um, so it turns out people get way more volatile about political issues, except this group. Like, I, I guess we've just like lulled everyone to like apathy <laughs> in this discussion. No, I thought it was good. It was an interesting question. I thought it was good too. I was just saying that because no one's like yelling and screaming, which is, which is always a win. Yeah.
another thing about the gun thing was just that like i mean i've heard the like that was like the reason why the founding fathers um put the second amendment was for rebelling against tyranny and it's like the argument like people have made is that you know if only the jews were armed then there wouldn't have been the holocaust in spite of the fact that the jews made up less than one percent of the entire population at the time i mean Like, would really arming the Jews have really been given them the leverage to have prevent the Holocaust from happening? Well, I mean, that, that's a completely different category because, yeah, I mean, if it's I don't know the numbers, but, you know, assuming your one percent is correct. Um, yeah, to have like a, a con- complete one for one for our country where England didn't have a stronghold and it was a bunch, you know, like we had the majority and England was slowly coming over. So, like, you know, we knew the land, we knew the layout uh, better. So I, I would say that's vastly different than the established German government who has the lay of the land, they have the controls. And if the population of Jews was really 1%, even if you add sympathizers in, um, if you add enough of the German population or the people who are sympathetic to the plight of the Jews, if they were also all armed, then I don't know, perhaps it could have gone differently. Um, maybe just the threat of force would have been enough to make things less bad. Uh, there's no way to know that. But uh, so, I mean, it's a very, two very different unique scenarios. So what works for one uh, with an unestablished government uh, with no stronghold on the land and the, the people in the majority were um, more established, I, I would say, you know, that's why our second amendment works worked out very, very well. And some, you know, the situation is completely reversed. Like if it's a small minority who has guns and it's an established government in control, um, yeah, I, I don't see, I don't foresee that unless there was enough like of the German population who is also sympathetic to the Jewish people yeah, um, who would stand would. up and fight with them. That probably wouldn't have been the case, given the fact that Hitler was very well liked by Germany, even uh, even well during the time that he was executing Jews. Yeah, so I, I yeah, I don't know if I could be. Um... But I guess my position would be, hey, if you wanted to be a Jewish person who was armed. Go for it. Like, there are things worse than death. Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, just, so, I mean... Like, my argument yeah, I mean, is I, really I, just... It's, my, my point is really just that even if we were to... Like, if even if we were to grant that the Jews could have been armed, I mean, would that really have been able to have prevented the mass execution that we... Yeah, I mean, probably not. I mean, there could have been an anomaly. But, uh, like Esther from the Bible, there was a case similar... Um, you know, whenever um, they got the king to sign the stupid order because he was dumb, um, that said they could basically exterminate the Jews. And then, you know, Esther brought it to his attention. He, like, you know, said, for whatever reason, how kingly is it to not be able to change your order? But he's like, oh, I can't, ch- I can't reverse my order. But the Jewish people can fight back. So the Jewish people armed up and fought back, and it did change that outcome. So while it may not have changed World War II, it did change that, um, which, you know, maybe some of the descendants were survivors of the Holocaust, who knows? But um, it did change it in the book of Esther, at least. To bring in a little bit of Bible for everyone. <laughs> I think it would also require a society that that values the protection of human life. Sort of like a Isaiah 1 situation. Like bring justice to the fatherless. Uh, Evidently, well, Germany wasn't, wasn't like that, so... They didn't really care when the Jews were getting slaughtered. Yeah, I'm not super well versed in like uh, like World War II history. Like I kind of like I don't know. 
I, I just don't like any yeah. of like the the thirty like the thirties, sixties, like that that whole era. I just don't like it. It's like some aversion, like even if it's in like pleasant stuff, right? Like Happyville or something like um, just anything that takes place during that time period. I just don't like it. Like the invention of like, you know, when TVs come out, everything's like black and white in the fifties. And and I I don't know what it is like that time in history. Like every time there's music or movies or people talk about that or portray that time period, whether it's the world war, whether it's like just the cars, the style. I I don't know. Does anyone else feel like that? You've never seen where art thou? Like that? What? You've never seen Oh Brother Where Art Thou? You don't like that movie, is what you're saying right now? Wait, I have I I've seen it and I like the movie. It doesn't mean I have to hate everything about it. But I mean that that time period. And by the way, I didn't really get that from Oh Brother Where Art Thou. Like maybe I wasn't it, paying attention it, it, to. Carefully. It's a movie about the the Great Depression in America. That's like the That's the the whole thing. The music, the words, the humor, the the politics, the whole thing. You you're saying that that's not appealing to you as like a thing well no i'm saying like that was like that was done like i don't know that was done good like it was i mean it was a modern take on it so it was like you know everything was in in color it was modern like i don't know maybe i'm explaining myself bad but the whole point you don't like any products from that era right like how everything just looks it looks like a, a creepy like um like if i was in a nightmare like that's what my nightmare would be like every time there's like um you know there's uh like in movies now, and it's like, oh, an abandoned uh, diner desert. And it's like that 1950s sock hop, like the radios are like all curved and painted that weird nasty yellow. And like the, the old school jukebox, like, I ah, something about that. I just hate that whole, yeah. the whole style of the time. You didn't like Papio Daniel's Flower Hour? I'll, I'll just I mean, say come on. that. The only... <laughs> Thank you, Diehead. I appreciate that. Like, I'll just say, like, the yeah. Civil War was my favorite. We ain't one at a time in here. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Like I'll just we mass communicate. We're, we're I, I could get behind this. A cow. I could get behind the civil war. Yeah, well, I was just saying, like, if, like the civil war is my favorite era. But even then, like, I would have rather have been out west, you know, like owning my own saloon or gunsling. The Revolutionary War was my favorite. You know, I uh, I like the idea of like you know the medieval stuff. Um, you know, minus the plagues, but um, like I don't know, like I don't. castles, that stuff. Like before, like I, I just like that whole time. And then you know, I'm a nerd, so add dragons. Holler, Michael. Would you Holler. want? Would you want to live at the time when like they had all the witch trials? Seriously. Well, I'm not. Saying, I mean, there's a big difference between what I what I like and what kind of appeals to me versus when I would want to live. Like I quite like my climate controlled house with my air conditioning and you know, modern medicine and stuff like that. So, I, I mean, if I had a time to actually live, I would probably pick right now. Um, but as far as what I admire and what I like and what I, you know, like to kind of fictionalize, um, it's it's like castles and, you know, stuff like that and, like, armor and all that cool stuff besides, like, you know, dirty, nasty 50s diners. I'm so surprised about that. Okay, gotcha. so, like, victory gardens and the war effort and, like, you know, Navy pilots and your own grandparents' love story. Like, none of this appeals to you? No. Wow, that's I, I just I just don't like the time. I don't know. And before that, probably caveman times, whatever that was. I don't know. But, like, the World um, War II era produced the greatest generation. Like, what... Well, Steph, again, we're, again, you're, you're trying, again, we're getting off things. That doesn't mean I can't, like, appreciate, you know, the, you know, 
hard times make hard men. That doesn't mean I can't appreciate the heroes that, you know, got us out of World War II and stuff like that. I just don't like the, the what, the style, the art, the time, the period, the culture. Maybe the culture, like, I just don't like it. But, That's you know, like 20 I... minutes ago when I said I had to go, the whole point of this was I've really not studied that much on World War II. Like, I think I know as much as, you know, any other like kind of basic run-of-the-mill person would. But I really haven't, like, dug into it and studied it super deep. Because I and like video games. Like, anytime there's, like, a World War II video game, I'd never play it. I, I just can't stand it. Like, a modern, uh, mo- uh, modern war- or Call of Duty Modern Warfare, like, that was my favorite game. And they came out with a patch or something, and it was, like, um, it went backwards. It went to, like, World War One or two. I hated that. I just, everything. It's just so, like, rickety. It's like we almost have civilization, but that's not, it, the kinks aren't worked out yet. I, I, I don't know how to explain it. I just don't like anything to do with, like, I don't know, the 20s through 60s. I think it would have been interesting living in the age of exploration because, like, you know, that would be the time where you'd see a bunch of slaves being taken off ships, and but also you'd be seeing all the immigrants we slaughtered. Would be seeing the immigrants we've slaughtered? Or, sorry, not immigrants. The, the Technically, because we were the immigrants, if anything, and we would have killed all the natives. Hello. You would have liked to see that? Is no, that it would be interesting to have seen oh. all. Well, on that note, everyone have an awesome day, <laughs> uh, Michael. Yeah, yeah. I think Nate, I'm with I'm with you. Kind of first choice would be kind of, you know, like a medieval Knights of the Round Table kind of thing. You know, because dragons and stuff, cool. Um, but then, if if not that, then I think I was born too early, because I want a hollow deck on a on a Starship Enterprise. Yeah, right, either way before or way after. Didn't you see the episode yeah, Michael. where Jordy got addicted to that? Like, that would be my... Uh, when I saw that... Not Jordy, what's his face? The Good other job, guy, Michael. I would totally be addicted to it. Yeah. yeah I, would live on, I would live on a holodeck, yeah. And for people what? that say that King Arthur wasn't real and didn't have a dragon, you're all liars. And for people that say, you know, as a good Christian, you should have wanted to be alive during the time of Christ, maybe you're right. Um, all right, everyone have Wait, a good day. Point see you guys later. Jesus rode a dinosaur and King Arthur rode a dragon. Yeah.